Facts with Adam Curry for September 5th, 2020. This is episode number 48. And there he is once again, the man with the golden voice. Mo Facts. Mo, Mo, how you doing? I'm doing good, Adam. How about yourself? Well, it's been a crazy two weeks. First of all, uh, I'm glad we're back together. We skipped an entire week. You were down the rabbit hole, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, But I think uh, Monday or Tuesday... My interview with Joe Rogan comes out, and either I'm going to sound like the biggest nut job in the world, or maybe, maybe I got to spit some Mofax. <laughs> we'll find out. There was a lot of substances involved. <laughs> so, but yeah, I was. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I can't wait to hear it. I'm, I'm waiting like everybody else for it to drop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, and, uh, I, I can give you. Ahead. I can tell you what's it. One thing that did happen. Is I'm like, well, you know, me and my buddy Mo, Mo Fax, you know, we're, t-, and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your friend's name is really that? I said, yeah, Mo. He says, Mo, Mo, what? I said, Mo, Maurice, Mo. He goes, Mo Fax, that's his name? I said, yeah, it's this M O E F A C T Z dot com. <laughs> <laughs> plug life. <laughs> yeah, living the big plug life. So we'll see. And uh, based on, I think, our producers uh, who support this show, who, well, of course, since we've been gone for two weeks, we'll be uh, thanking them in two different segments because uh, the support has been phenomenal. Uh, I got a DM this morning from Hotep Jesus. And he says, uh, "Really? Yeah." He says, "You you need to come on the show. Can you can you come? I think September twenty fifth." Uh, and I said, "Oh yeah, sure." And I sent him a link to uh, to to mofax.com. He says, "Oh yeah." He says, oh, "What did he say?" I don't want to misquote him, but I think it was something like "dope." Uh, I've heard good things about it, so he said he was going to listen. How about that? Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So, you know, that great Twitter feed, man. That great Twitter feed of yours. <laughs> very gray. Very, very gray. Uh, one more thing before we get started with uh, with uh, stuff for today. Um, NoAgendaMeetups.com is where uh, producers of the No Agenda show organize meeting up uh, together. And they're starting to combine meetups because there's such a heavy crossover between the No Agenda tribe and the MoFax tribe uh, in so many different aspects. And uh, apparently there was the second Mo Agenda meetup, and I believe this is from Michigan. Hey, Adam and Mo, we got a dozen people here in Michigan celebrating our second MoFax meetup after the Chick-fil-A one in February. Tonight was Popeye's. We love them both. And we just wanted to remind everybody that pay attention attention to everything and the truth will reveal itself. How cool is that? That's nice, man. Well, uh, I guess uh, you can organize a, a MoFax or a Mo Agenda meetup at, me- at noagendameetups.com. Very cool. Thank you so much, guys. All right, Mo, what are we doing? What else we have here? I got, wait, I got all wait kinds a of minute. St- what? Wait a minute. What? I have a couple of things on my list. I got to uh, get oh. off there before we get into it. Okay. And it's it's cause for celebration. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Celebration. <laughs> Come on. It's a celebration. <laughs> celebration. What are we doing? What are we doing, Mo? I'm blowing the horns. What's going on? Happy birthday to two of my favorite people. One being you. Aww. You just tell- Hi. 
You just celebrated a birthday. Yes, I did. September third. Thank and, you. And the other one is to our only fan, Uncle Richard. Oh, he had a birthday on the fourth. <laughs> ah, another fine Virgo man like myself. Very nice. All right, Uncle Richard. All right, cool. Very cool. Oh, you know what that means? You know what this What's is that? started. Well, you you start with this before you know it. We've got a birthday list. <laughs> it's the funniest we, we, thing. We could consider, yeah, we could consider that. Um, yeah, we could. We could. The best gift I could think to give Uncle Richard, our only fan. Um, is for you to spin that wheel. All right. For Uncle Richard, we are going to do the one thing that only really matters. It's the thing that we need to do every single show, because what is the topic for today? Nobody knows. But when we hit that wheel of topics, round and round it goes. We find out what we're going to talk about today. Maybe Mo knows. We'll find out. The topic for Mo Facts with Adam Curry 48 is... Black on Black Crime. Okay, it's something light for today's topic. <laughs> nice. All right. Okay. Everybody take cover. Whew, deep breath. This will be this will yeah, be interesting. Yeah. This is why it took two weeks. Yeah. And it literally I, took two weeks. Uh up until the last minute, rearranging clips. Oh man. Taking clips out. Cause you as you know, this is the uh third rail and racial slash politics conversation yeah and it's something that to be on well i i really of course i i, I look forward to episodes like this because this is where i get to learn an incredible amount um but just from a um white american perspective i you know what is often said is um you know in as it pertains to some news report well nobody talks about 50 people in chicago black on black crime and how'd i do the voice was that pretty good uh and i've done it myself the 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 exact statement is what about chicago what about black (laughs) on black crime chicago yeah and and uh yeah of course and and can i ask you right off the bat just since that's what uh what we do (laughs) when you hear someone say how someone like me say that well what about chicago does that does that trigger anything? Do you think is it something that comes up in your mind when you hear it? It can come across as a cop out because you don't want to talk about what the topic was on. Okay. And two, it's a non-starter. It's that put that on the list of non-starters. Um if you're going to come at, at the angle of counterbalancing police violence and you know police uh, police brutality, mm-hmm. counterbalancing with black on black crime. The two things need to be discussed um independently of each other they're both a problem uh one being larger than the other and surprise surprise it being black on black crime is the bigger problem (laughs) by far but yeah but i would say this oftentimes when it's brought up it's brought up disingenuously and to deflect from a conversation somebody really doesn't want to have on the on the topics that's brought up well the the way that's yeah the way the way that i might have used it in the past would be it's interesting you say that. Yeah, in a way to deflect. Huh, hold on a second. Let me just collect my thought. No, that's interesting because it would probably be someone saying, well, you know, this is uh, this. Uh, this uh, yeah, I think you're right. It would be uh, white cops killing, you know, blacks. And then it would be, well, there's only been nine this year. And then, oh, what about Chicago? Yeah, okay. It's a deflection because I think that the the there's no willingness to actually discuss. I think it's, okay, here we go. From my perspective, because there never mm-hmm. seems to be a willingness to discuss the actual numbers just as a statistic, because the claim from uh, uh, white cops killing black men 
is uh, disproportionate to black on black, but the conversation usually goes to, well, they only represent this portion of the population, so it should be that, but they represent 80%. I mean, it's, it's all these the, fucking the numbers. The FBI crime stats. Yeah, exactly. It's, exactly. It's, 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 it's go to the, the FBI crime stats say, you know, so we're not going to use any FBI crime okay. stats. All right. And you asked me a question, I want to answer it. When I hear, what about black-on-black crime? What about Chicago? Yeah. Uh, we know the facts law, the Mo facts law or rule that every racial conversation eventually <laughs> devolves to Chicago. Um, but when I, <laughs> it's like Hitler on, uh, on white forums. Everything in black forums goes to Chicago. I got you. To Chicago. But when I hear that is the way I could hear it, but I'm, I, I, I dissect things myself personally, but the way I could hear it is, what's one more black dead black guy? I mean, y'all oh, killed him about wow. a dozen. You know, uh, what's one more? I mean, so. Oh, yeah, I, I get it. I get like Chicago. And then what's, what's it, nine more? What's your problem? Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good so point. That's, man. Why that's we, a good point. This is, what, this is why we have these conversations so we can demystify and really get to the root of the problem. Yeah. And it's multiple problems with this topic. But since we brought up the uh, the mecca of black on black crime, as the media will have it, uh, let's get right into fighting to stop Chicago's gang killings. Chicago making international headlines this morning after a violent and bloody 4th of July weekend. More than 100 people were shot since Friday. 14 of them are dead. Shootings and violent crime have skyrocketed in Chicago. For decades, Chicago has struggled to shake off its reputation for gun violence. While 2014 saw the murder rate fall to its lowest in more than 40 years, since then there's been a worrying increase. In 2016, 762 people were killed in the city, the most since 1996. On the campaign trail, Donald Trump repeatedly lambasted the city. Chicago, what the hell is going on in Chicago? And in June, he announced a federal task force would be sent to assist Chicago police. I've come to Chicago to spend time with grassroots organizers who work in some of the city's most dangerous neighborhoods trying to stop the violence. Okay, we are indeed at ground zero. So this is Adam Gabbett from The Guardian. Uh, and a couple of points I want to make um, in his statement was in 2014, the murder rate had fallen to its lowest level in 40 years. So we got to put these like we have to put these things in perspective. Is Chicago violence a problem? Of course. Is it a huge problem compared to the 80s and 90s? Or even if you go back 40 years, (laughs) not at all. Uh Uh, New York, Chicago, D.C. used to have, you know, almost double the violence that they have now. Well, it's trending back up, but we have to put these numbers into perspective. Why do you think the shooting, the murder rate has gone up over the past two years? It's no structure. See, it used to be organizations where a few guys at the top, they called everything, sanctioned it or whatever. But nowadays, you got cliques, crews, and they might all have been, know each other, grew up together and everything. But now they just, you know, they, they just going, they warring, they trying to make a name for themselves. The communities they come up in, they can't get no jobs, nothing to do. So they just violent, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) 
So this is U.S. from on the out. He's an outreach outreach worker from um, Ceasefire, uh, and he's just speaking to the really decentralization of these gang structures, and that's what's really causing the uptick that you're seeing now. What do you What do you mean the decentralization? And, Can you explain that? Well, before it used to be like militaristic, where you had a you know a commander in chief, generals, lieutenants. That kind of thing. And it was very organized, structured. Uh, now it's more of there is no rank. Oh, there it's is more. No, of, I mean, their rank's still there, but it's. It's more like a flat, flat hierarchy now. Or, or a feudal, feudal system. Feudal system. Okay. Where you have, you know, yeah, where you have these pockets of power. And before you had to earn your way up, now it's like. I'm willing to take you out now at 14, 15 years old. I want my respect now, mm. which we have to look at. Maybe this is a microcosm of the breakdown in the home and no leadership, no patriarchy in the home. There's, no, there's, no no one, there's not even understanding of what uh, of what a hierarchy or patriarchy is anymore, perhaps. Right. And it's dissolved in the streets. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the men are even going to sad to say the the male led structure, even in street gangs. Is not there. And I'm going to say something now. I need to say it now. I am not anti-organized crime because I am not a um, a person that, you know, that's not, I'm not naive. Crime is going to exist in society and civilization. I think when you have organized crime, when it's done properly, it keeps from it affecting the civilians. Uh, you don't get random people shot on the street. You don't get children scared to walk up and down the street. Uh, because in every in every society, and this this goes back to the black on black crime thing. In every society, there's crime. In every society, there's organized crime. Uh, but you don't see dead children of other ethnicities in their communities and on the streets, like you do see in black and more. And probably brown as well, but not as to the extent as black. Okay, so... I just want to lay that yeah, out Yeah, so in this case, you're referring specifically uh, to, inter- to to black gangs being organized crime. Because, you know, we can't be against organized crime, otherwise all politicians would have to go. Because that's the biggest criminal organization <laughs> there is. Um, but I, if I understand what you're saying, because the lack of organized crime in these gangs is actually much worse than it would have to be if it was if there was a leadership structure and there was actually a leader that you could talk to and we could have leaders figuring stuff out you mean like that exactly and i'm not even pro i'm not pro organized crime i know it's a necessary evil because <clears throat> crime vice uh alcohol not not now but even in you know in early parts of america alcohol gambling prostitution these things are realities mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's are you going to have structure to that reality or no, because it's going to exist. Right. And I think what we're seeing now in this modern day, quote unquote, black community and black on black crime uh, is the lack, the decentralization. It's kind of like when you, you take out a Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein. Now you have eight warlords. Yeah. Yeah. A vacuum. <laughs> exactly. A vacuum. Which yeah, is the, filled yeah, up by a whole vacuum. bunch of yes. people. Yeah. I got you. Okay. Clear. That, that's what you're seeing now. Uh, so that's where we're at. Um, so next we have Corey Brooks and he's the executive uh, director of project hood. 
another organization is trying to help out Chicago. What people I spoke to really want is more funding for community projects. But getting that money can be difficult. Project Hood is a non-profit funded by donations. It gives hands-on training in professions like carpentry and business to young people who have been caught up in gang life and want a way out. Trump has spoken about Chicago in pretty strong terms. Uh, carnage, inner city violence. Like, Does he have a point when he talks about needing to send in the feds? Absolutely not. The feds are not what we need. Job creation is what we need. That's the reason why we're building this facility. We don't want you to come and give us your government paycheck or your government food stamps. No, we want to create people that want jobs and help people get jobs. That's what sustains people, and that's what creates family. And if we can get a president to do that, I believe that the direction of our communities can change drastically. That was interesting because I don't think he answered the question. I understand his answer, of course, but the the question was bring in more feds, which I think made more uh, police officers. And the guy said, no, 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 we need jobs and stuff that Trump is giving us. I think that's what he was saying. And 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 Mr. Adam on Gabbitt was very deceptive in the way he conflated two questions. Mm-hmm. One was the Trump's rhetoric, rhetoric about, you know, uh, carnage and violence and those things on nature and that street. And then he conflates it with his statement about bringing in the feds. Exactly. So it's, it's a very tricky question. If you listen to how it acts it, um, well, it's from the BBC. Yeah, I'm we, sure. we know the Brits are racist. Mo, I mean, this is nothing. New. Of course. And, and, uh, and, and, and probably wasp too. I mean, <laughs> that way of course. from the last show. Yeah. Um, but if you look at it, the question, of course, he agrees that there's carnage on the streets and there's violence, or he wouldn't be yeah, wouldn't putting be, together it, these projects, right? Uh, but I, I do agree. Bringing the feds is not the right um, is not the right solution uh, to the problem. Bringing in federal aid, federal programs, job programs, uh, reinstating family. Um, these are the kind of things what he was saying. Uh, but there is a county commissioner named Richard Boykins that has another solution for Cook County. Far too common in Chicago. Police investigating a shooting here. And heavily armed United Nations peacekeepers operating in some of the most dangerous corners of the earth. Now there's a push to bring them here. Good evening, I'm Rob Johnson. And I'm Erica Sargent. A Cook County commissioner wants to get the peacekeepers to Chicago to battle our violence problem. But it would be an unusual move. Consider this from a U.N. promotional video. Peacekeepers often operate in hostile environments where others cannot or will not go. CBS 2 political reporter Derek Blakely picks up our story. They've helped stop the fighting in war-torn hotspots across the globe, from Syria to Sierra Leone. Now a Cook County commissioner is appealing for U.N. peacekeepers in Chicago's crime-ridden neighborhoods. I know that uh, there are those who say that this is an admission that we can't protect the people in the city, but quite frankly, we haven't protected them. But one West Side alderman whose ward is plagued by violence rejects the military analogy. This is not war. I mean, we may have, have some daunting statistics, but again, uh, military intervention is not the answer. Alderman Irvin says it's an economic intervention, not a military one, that's needed to stop Chicago's violence. Here's a... First of all, I remember this story and I remember laughing about it, like, what the hell is this? But now, actually, in context of what you said at the beginning of the show, if the numbers were twice as bad in the you know, uh, 70s, 80s, 
and they came down and definitely eighties nineties yeah right. definitely eighties nineties and so they've yeah. come down you know by by you know by half and now they're they're trending up or then of course they're they're never good. What did they do? Is my question. What were they doing previously that seemed to be working? Was there <laughs> is there something that we can point to? Or was there something that it's, that it's the Giuliani tactics? Well, that was pretty much. Well, that was Bratton. That was the chief of police, and he came in and cracked heads, as far as I know. Right. Um, we're not going to say that the crime bill didn't clean up the streets because of course we got <laughs> millions of uh well, no, no, Juli- Juliani, uh, Giuliani and Bratton was before the crime bill that was in no the what 80s. I'm saying is that the, the 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 change from the rehabilitation because even Biden's rhetoric started before the crime bill right it was the really with the, I think it was uh, what is his name but I'm just saying Manhattan um, Manhattan had changed significantly by 1989, 1990, it was it was already really changed way before the uh, right. The, that the was when bill. the Democrats started saying we're past re- rehabilitation. Rockefeller, I believe it was. Uh-huh. They said we're past rehabilitation. The Democrats got really strong on crime. That started in the really early to mid 80s, and then it just worked its way up to the hmm. crime bill. But the mentality was lock up everybody and that's what the uh, congressional black caucus was calling for uh and honestly that's what the citizens were calling for was to clean up our streets now cleaning up our streets doesn't mean lock up everybody in the neighborhood either (laughs) or bring in the u.n peacekeepers (laughs) peacekeepers is maybe a little bit overblown (laughs) and i'm glad you got to that point because if people really back up here and take a step back and look what we're seeing here we're having this super predator narrative revive. Oh, little yummy coming you know, back. It's coming right back, um, and and it worked. I mean, look at who's running for office. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, you have <laughs> yeah, that is a deja vu, isn't it? Yeah, thank you. It's a, it gets a, you know, it, and it's weird because I wanted to that I texted you. Who was it in? Who was it mm-hmm. in the in the in the in the in the big article? Was it yummy? Yeah, I could remember little yummy because I wanted to bring it yes. up on Joe to explain how. The math models, kind of like the climate change or, God forbid, the uh, coronavirus models, had miscalculated the the danger of the quote unquote super predator. But that it just it was taken for science. Science is is right, and then you know we're still living with the crap from today. Maybe he's trying to yeah. Maybe it's just a redo. You know they figured all that shit out. We should do it again. Yeah, and, and this is not only limited to chicago i mean when i'm talking about black on black crime this is a problem in any pocket in america that has high uh so-called or quote-unquote black populations as we are here in black on black crime part 1.1 black on black crime you can find it in almost any major city like chicago new york or la but chattanooga is nowhere near the size nor has the population of those cities yet violent crimes by african americans against each other in chattanooga it's just as bad in part one of his special report, Eric Avenier takes a deep look into black-on-black crime and its effect on the African-American community. He joins us live in the studio to explain. Eric. Well, as journalists, it's our job to report what's happening in our community. And unfortunately, we find ourselves covering black-on-black violence almost every other day. Now, before we begin, we, you need to know that in this report you're about, we're about to show you, it is very raw and emotional with language that some viewers may find offensive. Trigger warning. 
Crime scenes like this one play out almost every week in Chattanooga. And the story is usually the same. A disagreement between two black men or a group of African Americans that leads to violence. Some of the victims live, others die. No one knows this better than Celeste Woods. You see, nine years ago, her son Damon was shot to death in this East Chattanooga neighborhood. She says she'll never forget that horrible night. And the next thing I know, I was getting a phone call and said, Damon has been shot, and could you come? And this is the area that I came to out here. And when I came, there he was, the rope was taped around, and he was lying face down in the street. To add insult to injury, Damon died on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a day most Americans celebrate a man who stood for nonviolence. All right, Mo, before you deconstruct it for us, who, uh-huh. what station did this? What outfit did this uh, this package? WDEF News 12 Chattanooga source for local news that's local, quick, and quick to the point. Incredibly <laughs> disgusting to me the way they start off with saying, okay, seriously, this was a mind control thing in what you would call trauma-based entertainment, as far as I'm concerned. The music track (laughs) that went from some Uh recognizable uh, song. What song was that? What was the track? I I think I recognize it. It's it's not like some crazy old track. No, it it was just like a typical... "Quote unquote gangster music." Yeah, exactly. I, mean, Some, I don't yeah, think exactly. It, was just it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it sounds yeah. like gangster a Dr. music. Dre beat, but yeah. yeah, and then we yeah. went into some. Mama comes in, and holy crap, that was mind control. That's all I wanted to say. It was that was quite disgusting. Yeah, they had the sad chords. I mean, cost with chords. Yeah. Everybody knows that knows music yeah. can evoke emotions. Of course. So. <laughs> she yes. was the sad strings. That wasn't news. Then, that, that then wasn't put new- the sad black mama on <laughs> yeah. TV. It wasn't news. That's for sure. That was that was pro- uh, but programming. If I, but if I said to you Chattanooga, you you wouldn't say to me black on black crime. I mean, no, so I say pardon me, I boy. Took this- Is that the cat that shit on your shoe? Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so this lets you know that it's widespread. Yeah. Um. Even not, it's, they want to make it like it's this urban problem. No, it's it's widespread, and that lets you know wherever a shared mentality or what you want to call culture is that we have this same this systemic problem. So, with that said, we can get into one point two. The shooting death of her son was the result of an earlier altercation with this man, Alex Smith, whom police later arrested and charged with murder. Current gang task force coordinator Boyd Patterson prosecuted Smith. That particular case ended with a plea of guilty to manslaughter and a sentencing hearing. So that's what happened. He could have faced, it was between six and ten years, but uh, after the sentencing hearing, he was given six years. Authorities say much of the violence playing out is gang related. According to a recent study, blacks make up 89% of the gangs in Chattanooga, followed by whites at 10.5%. And the number of gang-related crimes rose from 127 in 2007 to 500 in 2011. I want to get some terms straight with you. Uh, What is the difference between urban and uh, uh, inner city? Is there a difference? Because what in the Chattanooga is that the Chattanooga uh, uh, inner city? Urban, urban means black. Right. Whenever you hear urban, that's black. Okay, now so you can have just... inner city, which is gra- geographical. Of this, it's the inner city. Right. 
Um, now they can be used synonymously and, and, and you know, incorrectly, but when you hear urban, that's targeted towards black people. Okay. <laughs> so it, that makes sense. So, it's just a so term geographically, it's, you right. say it's inner, you can say inner city, and that means just downtown. Right. right. But you know, is, um, yeah, but is is what's happening in Chattanooga? Is that happening in the inner city? I would guess so. Okay. I don't. I don't know how you conflate urban. Because like I said when they say urban, they mean black. Even though Chattanooga is not urban, <laughs> it's, it's it's right. Okay, so, it's a it's a tricky word. It's like oh yeah, over there. So <laughs> over there where the blacks are, it's kind of like urban is, is synonymous with ghetto. It's, uh, it's really ghetto. Well, is this, what urban this means. word needs to be outlawed because it has too many stupid meanings. <laughs> I mean, it used to be a, a music well, it, well, style. It, it, it used to be just a music sort. That's what it was. Urban, baby. Well, well slow down, Curry. Oh, no, no, okay. no goggles yet, but no, slow okay. down. I'm because it's, down. It's, down. It's, it's, we're getting there. No, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're getting there. How the, Listen, Grasshopper is how too the educated. How urban music leads to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So you have... This guy gets six years. Yeah. Six years. Now, I can look at it one or two ways. I can say, whew. At least one black guy's going to be out six years. I mean, the other one's dead. Or I could say, "Wow, is a black life only worth six years in jail?" Yeah. Do you know? That- and this is where this this is how this gets tricky. But was this because second if degree? I come down or- on the side of yeah, okay. that's not. <laughs> well, they said he played. It was a plea deal on manslaughter, but I want yeah, okay. to raise somebody concern. I mean, uh, raise our awareness, our memory to you remember Botham John and the female cop that shot him, and she got ten years. Everybody was all up in arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this guy gets six years for killing another black man. Not a peep out of anybody, and he was like, "Oh yeah, we got him six years." I mean, he was bold enough to go on the news and say, "Yeah, we get we we let a guy off murder with six years." And is that now? I had to be cynical. Is that because you want murderous people to be make it back to the hood <laughs> while they're still in their prime? They're killing prime. Yeah. Well, again, let's talk. Let's talk about it now. Yeah. Well, again, a, ve- a very, a very interesting perspective. Um, you said, "Wow, is a black life only worth six years?" Um, if I had heard that, well, please. I mean, because I, I know a little bit about legal sentencing. Okay, I'm so just if, saying, if it was a plea deal on manslaughter. Yeah, I know. I, I understand. I, mean, I, I of course did. I did not have that empathy. I did not think, "Wow, that dead guy is only worth six years." I thought. And maybe the way it worked out, the altercation, I don't know what happened. Uh, I don't know. The gun went off. Uh, I don't know. But I, I totally understand where you're coming from, of course. That's about the that's about the running that's about the that's about the running average about ten years for a black life. That is, that's what you that's what you get, you know. I mean, so, and, well, and these people know this is in the streets. I, I know I sound very callous. No, no, but and very this cynical, is important. I know what, what you're gonna say is, now. This is important because that's what's known. They know, oh, it's just ten years, or if you're lucky, six years. Recycle, you're out. Is that what? Is that where that's going? Exactly. And if I'm running a white supremacist uh, enterprise here, those are the kind of people I want back on the streets. Yes, I see the problem. So in this case, the system is actually assisting this problem by perhaps even trying to be compassionate. It's a mind fuck. And, and well, and now let's say on the other side, say this guy got life in prison. Well, there goes two lives. <laughs> it's like, it's like wow. you can have it either way you want it. <laughs> yeah, you can. 
Oh man. This is why this is such a slippery uh thing to wrestle because <sighs> when you're you know, when you throw that ball, what about black on black crime? Cause I, and I tried to work this show uh, that I watch, and I have mixed feelings about it, called First 48 on A&E. Uh, and I watch it often because it gives you a good um, cross-section of criminality, especially black and black crime, that mm-hmm. results in murder. What Basically, the top um, the premise of the show is the first 48 hours after a homicide are the most critical hours. Right. And so they have a lot of inventory with black and black men been killed so of course that's going to be the majority of your cases and it could go either way you can have these cases where one guy gets six years for killing a black life or you could have one guy go rob another black guy with another black guy in the car and they kill the one black guy and then the other two guys get life without pro so just because the second guy went with the, the you know just was tagging along so, yes, so but so this now this is where it gets confusing, and I'm just going to say it. I'm sure I'm jumping the gun, but a right. big part of today's movement is to uh, is to have police reform and to get a lot of people out of jail much quicker, or not even go to jail at all um, for certain crimes up to incredible levels. Again, that seems like it's compassionate, but from what you're telling me it could have a completely adverse effect within the the criminal circuit it's like oh this is great we just recycle 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 thank you very much blm right and if your goal is to have more okay we already know black ink and blm's uh business model feeds off of black dead bodies in the street yes uh you need the total number and then you need the the highlight cases that the media runs with, which by cops. Yeah, and I want to say this one thing. Notorious B.I.G. had a song called "You're Nobody Till Somebody Kills You." When a black person kills a black person, that's a nobody killing nobody in right. the media's eyes. It's right. only when you're killed by a white person, <laughs> then you, or you kill a white person, then you've made that, it. Okay, now, <laughs> now now yeah now you're somebody. Woo! Because <laughs> yeah, you make it. It's very, it's a very sick and what problem, this is where I find very problematic is people like Kamala Harris, Barack Obama, all these Soros sister DAs. Y'all don't understand the nuance that needs to be had when you're saying who, who do we lock up? Who don't we lock up? Um, they're just like, Oh, let everybody out. And then what happens? The community gets riddled with crime and then you get the heavy hand of the law coming down and then you get, another criminal justice system. I mean, a criminal justice bill. Yeah. Uh, and it's indiscriminate. <laughs> and now black people are being stopped and frisk again. So it's like, where's the nuance here? Yeah. But nobody wants nuance. Everybody wants dead black man in the street, period. Well, not everybody. And, and on, that, on that level, <laughs> on that, I'm saying, on that, on, on, let me right. clarify. Okay. On, on that, well, I'm talking about on that. When I, I when we you. speak, we don't talk about humans. I mean, of course, people here. Yeah, we talk about Systems. factions. Yes, factions. and dead black men work for everybody. <laughs> it works for it's it's the it's this it's the salve for all wounds. <laughs> it's it's, <laughs> it's a floor wax and a dessert topping. Exactly, because you can say, look at this. Um, uh, if I want to say about trans men. Or trans trans women, who does it? Black men. No, 
You know, <laughs> it's always like, are you, you're going to see. I don't want to stop okay, the show here going. too much. Keep but the train rolling. Yeah. Um, so in this next clip from the Chattanooga News um, piece, they talked to somebody actually in the life. So we have uh, 2.1. When it comes to black-on-black crime in Chattanooga, Gang Task Force Community Outreach Coordinator Fred Hauser has seen it all. Hauser believes the problems unfolding on the streets don't start on the streets, but rather at home where offenders come from broken families with little or no guidance. People often point back to the family. Well, uh, when I was coming up, it was a primary family, the mother and father, but it was also everybody in the neighborhood that represent the family. That structure, you know, has, uh, has broken down. And age does play a role. That was confirmed by a man who admits to being gang associated. For his protection and the protection of his family, we agreed to hide his face and alter his voice. It's a, um, a, a, a myth that, you know, the older you get and being in the game, you know what I'm saying, the more power and respect you got. It ain't about that no more, you know what I'm saying? It's about the nigga who out here putting in the most work, you know what I'm saying? Nigga who pistol play heavy, you know what I'm saying? Nigga who got a name for himself. So these young nigga be 16, 17 years old and be telling 30, 40 year old grown what to do. Wow. So that goes to show you about the uh, the decentralization that I spoke, spoke mm-hmm. about previously. Mm-hmm. That's all about a name. It's not about, you know, it's no ranks, you know, you're going to make it to general or, or you know, capo or lieutenant. Right. You know, you make it up the ranks and it's no more of that. It's about you're in. Like basically the Wild West. Yeah. It's the Wild West. You're you in know, the posse. Who's the fastest gun? Yeah, you're in the posse <laughs> Who, who has not? the fastest gun? Yeah. Uh, so, looking at this, we have to go back to the super predator meme because that's still alive and well, slash the thug life or the yeah. thug, slash, you know. So, this comes from a movie, 1992, called Juice, which I, featured uh, Tupac. Tupac I remember this one. Sure, yeah. sure. And this scene right here lets you into the. And now it's a movie and it's dramatized, but. Wasn't. Uh, it uh, lets you. Wasn't uh, Kamala Harris in that movie? <laughs> sorry i don't think so <laughs> i thought she was hanging with uh with tupac back then i'm sorry uh maybe she was the lady in the record store with the gold teeth i don't know <laughs> there you go <laughs> good times um, yeah so in this scene it lets you inside the mind of what they would say a quote-unquote super predator thinks like it's over everything starts from now we all go down unless we stay together. Ain't no one man above the crew. You know that shit. Crazy, man. You know what? When you said that last time, I was kind of tripping, right? But now, you right. I am crazy. But you know what else? give a fuck i don't give a fuck about you i don't give a fuck about steel and i don't give a fuck about raheem either i don't give a fuck about myself look i ain't shit i ain't never gonna be shit and you less of a man than me so soon as i decide that you ain't gonna be shit so be it yes it's a a (laughs) rom-com obviously so so imagine coming across a person with that mentality that has all the self-hate in the world. Yeah. Nobody speaking positivity into him because that's the thing. That was the character of Bishop 
uh, his father was a war vet. You know, he was kind of out of it. And he was being bullied by um, Rodimez's crew, a rival gang. Uh, and he was tired of it. He was tired of being pushed around. I'm not you know, saying, uh, I'm just trying to humanize people. And it gets to the point where you have people that's outwardly suicidal. It's like, I'll let society do the job for me of killing me, but I'll take down everybody along the way I can. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the mentality of these people that you come across. The problem with that is they're so far and few between, uh, as we pointed out with the flaw, the flaw and the super predator numbers. Yeah. Just because people say they subscribe to this mindset don't mean they actually live it. And you have a lot of kids, including myself when I was young, that would dress the part, that would use the vernacular yeah. to play the part. Because that's what the women were attracted to, with the girls. You know, they wanted the tough guy. I mean, I mean, and this is this is American apple pie. I mean, Fozzie got all the chicks because he was saying he had he had the leather jacket and the motorcycle. I mean, let's let's just keep it one hundred here. So yes. this is nothing new, but it's this is what's feeding this scenario with black on black crime. Um, so I, I don't know. I want to know what you took away from that scene, or what 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 sparked what it sparked in your mind. Uh, well, it's, it, it, I think exactly what you said. It sounds like, well, there's, you know, I've met some crazy people in my life. Maybe they weren't in a gang, <laughs> but they said crazy shit like this too. And, uh, yeah, it's frightening, but if you're going to think that, well, look, this is trauma based entertainment. All the elements are in there. It's easy to think, holy crap. That's what all the urban areas are like, Kelly. You know, it's like, I don't know. That is, uh, sounds pretty desperate. And it's very dangerous because when people watch this and then they see me dressing, looking like the characters, they just associate. And like I said, all this is part of a bigger plan. We're going to get there. But I found a throwback clip from show 41. And this is uh, Tupac. And he talks about Donald Trump and greed in America. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can I right. stop you for a second? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, well known is the talk that your parents had yes. with you. Yes. Did the talk not at any point say, son, stop dressing like a gangbanger when you go out because you can get in trouble just for the way you look? Well, it's not the point about dressing like a gangbanger. It's the point of dressing about Dress about point about dressing about what's hip. Uh, I wasn't wearing bandanas and okay. Chuck Taylors okay. and those things. Okay, I got you. Uh, but it, it doesn't was, take much. It doesn't take much because it's popular course, culture. I mean, look at the hood. Look at the hoodie. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. The hoodie's yeah, been exactly. around since <laughs> since forever. But it's like, okay, we're gonna weaponize and, the hoodie. And now. and I have to say, and then let's, I'll shut up. The uh -huh. hoodie was an exclusive white guy thing. It got taken away from us with Trayvon. It was the Unabomber trademark. It was a white, horrible guy trademark. <laughs> oh, oh or, or, the, or the creepy guy with the sunglasses. Like, are yes, you right? That's the Unabomber. I didn't ever think about that. That, that was the Unabomber. Yeah. It was our hoodie, man. Thanks. Because that's, yeah, I go to show you how powerful <laughs> images are. Because when you said that, the composite sketch That's a, yeah, it came, of a tightly pulled hoodie yep. popped right into my head. But now that we say hoodie, we think Trayvon Martin, 
those yes, things. Yeah. I mean, we could go down the list. I mean, we yeah. black people have taken a whole bunch of. Uh, we we took weak colored construction boots and t- yes, turned them into yeah. a fashion statement. <laughs> uh, that so, was later, but that's okay. I feel good. You know, we've taken so much from the Black Brothers. Here, you can have the hoodie. <laughs> we can have enjoy, the hoodie. Enjoy back. your hoodie. Thank you. <laughs> But the hoodie, I will say this, the hoodie's been around since this era, uh, 1992. Uh, The champion hoodie, this was very common. So it was amazing how they started to weaponize it recently with the the Trayvon Martin case. Like, oh, it's the hoodie, the hoodie. It's like, oh, but we had a clip that we played before. Like, I won't let my kids wear hoodies or sneakers. It's like, that's like the teenage boys. Uh, go to is those things. Yeah, um, and and when my but, dad was a kid, it was the e boots, the engineer boots, because that was what Marlon Brando had, and that was cool. But then you were in a biker gang, so I guess it's right, always been the Fonz, that way. Yeah, the Fonz, the Fonz the, yeah, you yeah, know, the same the, thing. E boots, yeah, same thing. Okay, right, gotcha. So, so now getting back to Tupac, Trump, and greed. This world is such a, um, and when I say this world, I mean it. I don't mean in the ideal sense. I mean in the, uh, every day, every little thing you do. It's such a gimme, gimme, gimme. Everybody back off. You know, everybody's like, you taught that from school, everywhere. Big business. You want to be successful? You want to be like Trump? Gimme, gimme, gimme. Push, 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 push. Step, step, step. Crush, crush, crush. That's how it all is. And it's like, nobody ever stopped. Just, you know, I feel like instead of us just being like, slavery's bad, slavery's there. Bad whitey, bad whitey. I mean, all right, let's stop that. And everybody's smart enough to know that, I mean, we've been slighted. And we want ours. And I don't mean by like, uh, ours, 40 acres and a mule, because we passed that. But we need help. I mean, for us to be on our own two feet, us meaning youth or us meaning black people, whatever you want to take it for. For us to be on our own two feet, we do need help because we have been here. We have been a good friend. If you want to make it a relationship type thing, we have been there and now we deserve our payback. It's like you got a friend that you don't never look out for. You know, you dressed up in jewels. Now America's got jewels and they got they paid and everything and they lending money to everybody except us. This wasn't too too far too long before he was a shot was it this was 1992 so that was what four years okay. four years before uh, all right yeah. so this is but this is pre this is pre-jail right uh tupac and there was definitely a change that happened there so okay. uh maybe one day we'll, we'll talk about that but he well, makes a great point that was we from uh, a, that was from mofax 41 if anyone wants to go back and listen to yeah. that more in context uh, that was the th- i think the thug life yes. uh, episode yeah, that's right uh so you have young black men grow up in America where it's take what you want. If somebody strikes on you, you strike back harder. If they drop two buildings in Manhattan, you go kill a million people. You know what I'm saying? Like this is, it's the rider mentality. And it's like when they embrace it, it's wrong. Yes. I, 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 this is one of my biggest, uh, biggest gripes, of course. Cause that's all we know in America is just take. And you know, I mean, when I, when, when I'm saying corporate America, America, the corporation is just take, you know, and that's why I like, I think Trump gets respected at least because he's clear. You want us to come there? What you going to give us? Right. W- w- how about that? oil? you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> What's up? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You want, you want your streets cleaned up? You know, you want yeah. us to bang, bang for your set? You know what you going to give us? Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's a certain respect that comes with that. Mm hmm. Uh, but yeah, so when you grow this up and, and then these kids are raised by television, you have no father to give you any context, the nuance or those kind of things. Like you said, the talk that you, you have mentioned before, yes. uh, there's a bunch of talks that go on. This is talks that how to deal with white people is talks that how to deal with your own kind. 
you know, if you're in certain areas, don't go to certain areas that that people that look like you. I mean, this talk thing is not only this talk thing is not only about how to deal with white people. It's about how to deal with threats to your life. That's what the talk is about. Well, you said Um, something interesting because I thought the talk was pretty much about law enforcement. At least that's what I've been told about the talk. You just said something different. And, and, And it makes total sense, by the way. But the first thing you said, the talk is about how to deal with white people. That's interesting. Well, that's part. That's one of the biggest. Well, not even white people. It's the cops. And, okay. All right. That's you know, what white I thought. people in general. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is anything that can threaten your existence, whether it's taking your life or your reputation or or you know impeding you from having a good life, that's all encompassing of the talk that a father has with his sons. Right. And not let me be clear, I'm not excluding the girls, but girls and women and everybody else has advocates for their cause this is why this took me show took me two weeks because i'm being an advocate for young men that look like me and i understand i'm lucky to be here and reason why i'm saying i'm lucky i participated in some of the same (laughs) some of the same uh activities you know uh we just call riding you know saying you go out you ride you say you know Bad license, bad registration. You don't have money. You know mm-hmm. the state's always messing with you some kind of way. <laughs> to, you know the um, uh, right or wrong. I mean, but the state needs theirs. I mean, but when you're young, you don't think about that kind of thing. And I'm just to be honest with you, I'm one or two bad searches <laughs> away from being. You know, what I'm saying being a victim of the criminal justice system. So when I speak about young black men, I'm speaking from the heart, and I'm black men in general, but especially young young black men. I'm speaking for the heart because everybody else has a, the goal to use them hmm. for their own gain. Of course. So and I mean, I'm sorry if I'm like no, getting like, no, thank too, you. Getting too personal, but it's no, that's it's, that's, it's, it, it's it very really much home with me. It's very much appreciated. <laughs> and and as you're saying that, I was thinking that you know, uh, of course, I think every young man gets in, into some stupid shit, and we do some stupid shit. Um, but I've never done anything that well, I never got caught but I also didn't I, I'm sure that's my I'm, point like, we just, like, yeah, I'm, but I'm sure of it I, I, I'm sure that I didn't have the same fear that you had for sure I didn't have the same fear yeah. what's well, the odds it's yeah. like um, yeah. let's take Corona for instance the more you test the more positive you find right yep so it's the same thing when you start talking about arresting pulling over people the more bullshit frisk, you're gonna the find more uh, you, of course yeah yeah <laughs> the more have the roaches you're going to find yeah. you know I mean, it's not like you blatant you know oh i forgot to you know have this roach in my book bag or you know didn't have time to stop by my locker to drop this off right. or that kind of, i mean just and and really now you nailed we it is you nailed the gateway it. drug you nailed yeah, it you nailed it is the gateway drug the more <laughs> the more you test the more positives you get that you nailed it. It's exactly right. The more you test, and if you're testing a certain group more, you're going to find the shit with them. Absolutely. Now, because that's a topic we share, and I guarantee you, I'm, I've smoked more weed than you have. You probably have. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that, uh, uh, probably better, of course. <laughs> oh, okay, now it's that, is it? <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> no, I'm just, no that, that's, the, that's a, you know, 
just the inside baseball. The ultimate, the ultimate, good wee, ultimate good, racism. Good, good wee, <laughs> yeah, good wee was often referred to as white boy wee. Fuck, man, uh, really? So y'all, yeah, don't give me that urban yeah. skunk, man. I don't want any of that. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. White boy wee. So, yeah, do you come, yeah, come visit me, yeah, Mo? We'll show you what that's about. <laughs> So to get into the mindset of a what we would call a thug or a super predator, at one time, Malcolm X would fall into this category before he was enlightened, you know, and brought into the knowledge of self and, um, of you know, the plight against his people. So I have some excerpts from his autobiography written by uh, Alex Haley and it's written by Joe Morton. And let's just get into 1.1 West Indian Archie versus Detroit Red. It was a classic hustler code impasse. The money wasn't the problem. I still had about $200 of it. Had money been the issue, Sammy could have made up the difference. If it wasn't in his pocket, his women could quickly have raised it. West Indian Archie himself, for that matter, would have loaned me $300 if I'd asked him, as many thousands of dollars of mine as he'd gotten 10% of. Once, in fact, when he'd heard I was broke, he had looked me up and handed me some money and grunted, stick this in your pocket. The issue was the position which his action had put us both into. For Hustler in our sidewalk jungle world, face and honor were important. No Hustler could have it known that he'd been hyped, meaning outsmarted or made a fool of. And worse, a Hustler could never afford to have it demonstrated that he could be bluffed, that he could be frightened by a threat, that he lacked nerve. West Indian Archie knew that some young hustlers rose in stature in our world when they somehow hoodwinked older hustlers, then put it on the wire for everyone to hear. He believed I was trying that. In turn, I knew he would be protecting his stature by broadcasting all over the wire his threat to me. Because of this code, in my time in Harlem, I'd personally known a dozen hustlers who threatened left town disgraced. Once the wire had it, any retreat by either of us was unthinkable. The wire would be awaiting the report of the showdown. Huh. <laughs> so this is young Malcolm X. Uh, he claimed that he hit a number and the guy that uh, ran the numbers, if I said numbers is a huge uh, uh, component of black culture in that time, not as much now because you have the legal, legal lottery. Uh, but he claimed that he hit a number. Archie said he didn't. So then now they're at an impasse. Right. And to save face, Archie has to call uh, Malcolm out, who was known at Detroit Red at the time. And this thing you, he referred to multiple times is the wire. Yeah. The wire. The wire. The wire is what social media is now. Or what we say, the streets. Like they say, the streets is talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to hear the song, heard it through a grapevine. Bird on the wire. This is what they're talking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is this was like the social media of that time. And once it got on the wire that you had been played, you have to save face. And that's what it's all about. Now, it's still the same thing. It's not, most times, it's not about money. It's about this image that you created. One being Detroit Red, the other one being Weston and Archie, which are... Um, um, caricatures or I, I'm for lack of I, I lose I, I don't have a lack of a better word but just caricatures of themselves or um alter egos that's the word I'm looking for mm-hmm. these are alter egos that you build up for yourself on the streets that's why every rapper has an alter ego if you notice mm-hmm. and sometimes multiple ones because it's like 
you have Curtis Jackson, do you have 50 cents? 50 cents can't get played. You know, West Izzy Archie can't get played. Detroit Red can't get played. So now the wire is waiting to see. Did he get who's played? Fold. Right, right. Uh, it's, it's, exactly. Is the wire. So, the and I completely understand the wire at that time might have been. Uh, barbershops and guy on the corner to the next guy telephones telephone yeah, and uh, did now did that come back in hip-hop as it like a, a real wire that ran through the songs or is, is it always kind of maintain that street level and it may have it may be as you said social media today does it still exist in the old form of the wire no well i mean it, it's, it's all about technology and how it could be utilized so Got at the time it was the telephone mm-hmm Okay. Uh, and then when you had music come about, you had it go on wax. And you're saying they always say the term on wax, off wax, like mm-hmm. on wax beef. It was just like talking junk. Mm-hmm. But it would jump off of wax because you saw this with the Tupac and Biggie thing. Once it gets to a point, one guy sleeping with the other guy's wife or claiming to sleep with the other guy's wife, something has to happen. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you had a point now of... It's not really a racial um, thing, Mo. <laughs> Something's got to happen in, no, no, in every course, group with that shit. Yeah. And I'm glad you added me because I'm open on home. Boom. It's the same thing with Roger Stone, General Flynn. Mm-hmm. We don't fold. We don't rat. You know what I'm saying? That's like, like there's certain things that the street respects sure. about this code. Donald Trump and his, you know saying his cohorts. It's like, and and Cohen was looked at like a rat. It's like, bro, yeah. I mean, how you gonna rat on your look. man Trump? Yeah, that was a bad look. <laughs> it was a very, it was a very bad look because it's. I mean, because I'm looking at it through the streets' eyes, and it's like, no, nah, you you can't rat. I mean, you you did dirt with this dude. I mean, you his lawyer for God's sake, <laughs> and you out here, you're saying you out here ratting. I mean, but you know, the General Flynn, that would be considered soldiers, right? The irony in that, I mean, but they would be uh, considered soldiers because they didn't tell, they didn't take the easy way out. You know, they they rode. Um, so this face saving face thing, I mean, it's big in all cultures, especially. Uh, masculine-driven cultures. Right. So I just want—I just wanted to say Good. that. No, that's that cool. Point. I enjoy hearing that. Thank you. Uh, all right. So now you have West End Archie and uh, Detroit Red are bound to have a face-off, and we'll hear about it in one point two. The next thing I knew, West Indian Archie was standing before me, cursing me loud, his gun on me. He was really making his public point, floor showing for the people. He called me foul names, threatened me. Everyone, bartenders, customers, sat or stood as though carved. Drinks in midair. The jukebox in the rear was going. I had never seen West Indian Archie high before. Not a whiskey high. I could tell it was something else. I knew the hustler's characteristic of keying up on dope to do a job. I was thinking, I'm going to kill Archie. I'm just going to wait until he turns around to get the drop on him. I could feel my own thirty-two resting against my ribs where it was tucked under my belt, beneath my coat. West Indian Archie, seeming to read my mind, quit cursing, and his words jarred me. You're thinking you're going to kill me first, Red. But I'm going to give you something to think about. I'm sixty. I'm an old man. I've been to Sing Sing. My life is over. You're a young man. Kill me, you're lost anyway. All you can do is go to prison. I've since thought that West Indian Archie may have been trying to scare me into running to save both his face and his life. 
It may be that's why he was so high. No one knew that I hadn't killed anyone, but no one who knew me, including myself, would doubt that I'd kill. Wow, that's a great story. This goes to show you, if this would have went left, yeah. we could have not had one of our greatest leaders yes. <laughs> in history to make it to the point where he was able to realize, you know what I'm saying, uh, who he really was, mm-hmm. you know, and what value he brought. So this is why I'm passionate about the young men. I think there's a lot of redeemable young men out there. Um, it just takes um, guidance. And this is why the father, no father in the home and, you know, pa- parent fathers, families back together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A, a parent privilege yep. is so important. Now, we have to get to the so-called white people that love to bring up black-on-black crime. Oh, hey, now, it's Adam's portion of the show. Okay. <laughs> well, no, because... I'm messing with it's you, It's amazing how... Yeah, no, I'm saying it's amazing how black people are demonized when they have standoffs like Detroit Red and West Indian Archie have, but not so much if they're gunslingers. Huh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shall we roll it? Yes, please. The tense, prolonged drama of the Western gunfight. It is a scene played over and over, not only in books and on the screen, but also in our imagination. Well, the classic Western gunfight that's in our mind is of two men facing off in the street with a camera angle underneath one person's leg looking at the other one. The good guy, he lets the bad guy draw first, and then, of course, the good guy ends up drawing and shooting the bad guy between the eyes. End of story. When we think of Western gunfighters, we think of the classic Western gunfight. Problem is, it simply never happened. I don't know of a single time in Western history where two guys were actually dumb enough to get out in the middle of the street and challenge each other to a draw. (laughs) You get killed like that. Yeah, it's so true though. Yeah, of course. It's then it that is interesting. Black black cowboy guy, black guys in cowboy movies. Isn't that really strange, you know, walking around with guns? Because they got the, the hats on and the spurs, and it's all good. Right. Bass, Bass Reeves was one of the baddest men ever walked. You're saying, right, walked right, America's right, soul. exactly. But, it's, as you can see here, all about narrative. Even though it didn't go down that way, they can rewrite history. And that's what happened here. And we're going to look, we start looking, we ought to look at history. Uh, I'm not a big history person, even though I play a lot of clips from history. Yeah, I'm about what narrative survived from history. That's what piques my interest. Mm. Like, why are we talking about what we're talking about now and not the other 10 interesting things that get buried? Who Who's pushing this narrative? So to explain the Western culture or the wild, wild West, they had to, you know, um, civilize it. Like, I'm calling you out, you know, meet me outside at high noon, pilgrim. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what? It's like, that's not even how it went down. But the fact that that's programmed into my mind, it's like, I look at black people to do the same thing. Hey, hey, Detroit Red, meet me outside. Right. It's like, oh, I'll just look at them as two thugs. But now 
Then this is this is real white supremacy. There's here. something really I mean, because- honorable about a gunfight <laughs> the way you imagine it in the movies where they're standing out again, uh, you know, face to face, and exactly said that shot from through one guy's leg to see the other guy. That always has like this dueling kind of honest man thing. You calling me yellow? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> these terms that just bleed yeah. over to our mind. And not a racist term, by the way. Yeah. No, I'm, but but <laughs> if you have two black men call each other out in the streets that have honest grievances and they just shoot it out, it's seen as, oh, that's barbaric. You know, these are <laughs> this is this narrative that I'm talking about. And the right. crazy thing is, gunslingers don't even exist. They're not even a real thing. <laughs> that's just the movies power of the man the narrative all right are we going to find and I out where say this one came more thing. From, yeah but before i continue on i want to go back to one point and on the on the war watch front that we do so what you have here the super the the thug is the product of the general of uh, the the gender war and now it's resulted itself in a generational war yeah because the children have been charged up against men older men and that's why you're seeing it play out in the streets. Like, and that's, I wanted to make that point before we got away too far away from the West Indian Archie and Detroit Red clip. There's always going to be enmity between older men and younger men, but it's only uh, heightened by the mother, you know, shaping the young boy's mind against the older male, i.e. the father. Right. So I, I just want to say that point. That's, yeah, that flows over. <laughs> of course, that flows over. So... Me, it's like now I'm 56. I'm definitely a mm-hmm. a guy to be hated. Naturally. I mean, it's, 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 this is part of nature. I mean, the younger bulls or the younger lions, you know, they're going to look to test the older ones. But that's what separates for animals is that when we work with the previous generations and, right. and the, uh, all other genders that, you know, make a better civilization and better society. So I just want, I, I just want to go back to that because I just want to lay that out because all that we talk about is going to be gender war, mm. generational war, or race war. Right. So, all right. So let's get into uh, uh, Wild West Part Two. But there is certainly a grain of truth behind the gunslinger legend. And finding it takes us to the Western frontier in the second half of the 19th century. It was a lawless time when the harsh and grimy reality of life came to favor those who were fearless with a gun. The willingness to step to the edge is what determined whether or not a man had what it took. Uh, if you think of the, the quote from the uh, novel, The Shootist, uh, J.B. Books, the protagonist says, uh, most men will hesitate before they pull the trigger. They'll blink an eye or take a breath. I won't. In the Old West, shootist was a common term for the men who made their reputations with guns. The word gunfighter appeared as early as 1870, but did not come into wide use until later. The word gunslinger is probably a creation of the 20th century. Researchers at Merriam-Webster's have traced it no further than the famous author Zane Gray, who used it in his novel Nevada, written in 1928. Gunslinger, by any name, was the product of a society in which guns were essential tools from the very beginning. 
Yeah, no doubt that is our culture. That is our that is our American culture for sure. So if you take young men and you show them these images, yeah, you have no no fork counterbalance force there to explain to them what they're seeing and um, to explain to them about uh, being. Uh, positive or not even positive but righteous in your actions i mean because even when clint eastwood came it's like okay i get it you know um those guys are bad even though clint's kind of bad you know (laughs) they will hire him you know to clean up the town yeah (laughs) we don't get any of that counterbalance there now i want to go go back to controlling language gunslinger is a creation of the 20th century Yes. I've never heard the term shootist before. No, Maybe we no, need to start I, referring no. to <laughs> I had not heard that either, shootist. No, that was new to me too. We need to start referring to, you know, black on black crowd. They're just shootists. It's the shootist culture. You know <laughs> something like that. I mean, but it's amazing the narrative of how it can just be explained away uh how certain cultures gain their way in America and it's like oh in those rough times it was decided by the gun and guns were critical tools and so the, and, and I'm not justifying any of this no, no. I'm just saying this the shootist, is the environment the shootist yeah. uh, was a John Wayne movie really yeah the shootist I'm I, not the excuse me I'm not the film buff it's not like you know, Siskel and Ebert over here just to date myself uh, Wikipedia the shootist is a 76 1976 American Western film directed by Don Siegel uh, it is notably known as John Wayne's final film role. And uh, he is yeah, John Wayne, Lauren Bacall. He's the shootist. So that is interesting. But just, you know, just throwing it out there because that always gives us context when we find the root, the roots of these words. And it's the shared mentality of a cow like Billy the Kid and somebody, a young kid now. Mm-hmm. You know, I have my gun. My gun is the only thing that allows me not to become a victim. And, you know, it's, it's, it's me and my gun. Right. That's the mentality. So how can we look down on the premise of how they got there? And also considering all the things that shaped their environment that we talked to talked about in the last 47 episodes. <laughs> yes. But ho- hopefully, you know, we, it explains it a little bit, but it doesn't just stop in the wild, wild west either. And neighborhood turf was absolutely everything for the gang members. And the, I think probably a good guess for the average age of a gang member was probably about 16 or 17, probably down to as low as 12. I mean, they did every possible thing that you could do <laughs> Yeah. at the time. The corruption was unbelievable when you, when you really get into the history of it. But people must be made to understand that all these things are best kept within what I like to call the Tammany family, which is why I'm talking about an alliance between our two great organizations. They're talking about muscle work. That too. Muscle to match our spirit. You want the crushes get them to do it? The police? Oh no, Jesus, no. The appearance of the law must be upheld. Especially while it's being broken. It was a time when the line between criminal and hero and decent human being and not so decent human being were very muddy and murky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is from a movie, right? <laughs> oh, Liam Neeson. Oh, Liam. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is from Gang of America. I mean, Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York. Yeah. 
But do you listen to how they were talking about it? Like, oh, yeah, you know, the lines were murky then. And, oh, they did every, I mean, even um, Leonardo DiCaprio, he chuckles when he talks about it. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, they did everything. <clears throat> so it's this mentality of like every other culture. And you hear this a lot when you talk about black and black crown. The retort is, well, the Kennedys got rich off of liquor. Uh, the Bushes got rich off of cocaine Mm -hmm. uh i mean and stealing oil and those kind of things so these people are aware of american history not the ones on the boots on the ground but it's a couple things i want to point out in that clip he says that um when i I think they're talking to boss tweed and he says um won't you get the 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 rollers to rollers i think it's another word for uh cops at the time Mm -hmm. he's like once you get them to do it it's like no 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 we need muscle that's the third wave. That's the third it wave we're the th- talking you're about. Right. It right is the there. third wave, right. right. Yeah. You want to re-explain so that? It's, <laughs> so the third wave is okay, when you have a Black Lives Matter Inc. or Black Black Inc. protest, the first wave are, you know, the Black Lives Matter um It's the suburban kids who are who are who mean well yeah. are underinformed and over socialized. Well, well, I think I think the first wave of the activists. Are the true hardcore, always, always. Uh, well well trained Marxists? <laughs> yes, well, tra- by their by their term. <laughs> yes, we're super we're super trained or super versed in Marxism. Yeah, well trained. So they're, they're on the group. They're, they're the they're the first wave, and then you have the second wave are the agent provocateurs, the ones that break the glass. Now we've seen that they can come from either side, or the right or the left, because we've seen some some stories there. But then the third wave are the the actual people who who criminal element yeah well it's oh, let Go me ahead. let me play it back just to make sure that i got it right because we had this conversation already okay. i want to know and the third wave right. is literally the 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 people who have uh in the beginning of the show were saying well all, like uh tupac said take 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 that's what trump does all these guys do it when they get the opportunity the windows were broken we didn't break the windows, but now it's open. People go. We're this is we're going to take. This is what everybody does. That is the American way. That that I think is your point about the third wave. That's my whole point. It's kind of like when they have you know um, we go to other nations like these non governmental organizations. <clears throat> there would be the third wave. It's like you know the government came in and it destabilized and you know rubbleized the word you like to use Rubbleized. but now we're yeah. going to clean up and now if we have to <laughs> now if we take you know make a profit off of it it is what it is it's here for the taking that kind of thing so it's the same it's the same mentality but it's just amazing i want to point this final point out of Liam Neeson this is the same guy that says after he thought a black man had raped one of his friends or she told him he raped him he walked the streets for weeks looking for a black man to beat up and attack. But then he laughs off criminality when it's done by other people. It's just amazing the hypocrisy. hypocrisy so I'm just saying, yeah. when you say black on black crime, remember that America is root, rooted in criminal criminal activity and criminal mindset, you know, from the very beginning because it was strong, only the strong survive. I mean, like, I'm not taking away anything i'm just saying that's the reality let me let me throw something at you let me let me throw something at you um Mm -hmm. as a so-called white man in america um of course i recognize the criminal activity and as i said earlier and she you know the a lot of the political system and elements in politics are incredibly criminal it's interesting i know that if i really had wanted to or if i was younger if i wanted to 
I know that I could achieve that level of criminality. And I would understand it. And I, I'm just shooting from the hip here, so most. So I don't know mm-hmm. if this is going to go anywhere. It's okay. like I would be familiar, like, okay, but you know, these are a bunch of douchebags. Uh, and they're not going to shoot me. Uh, the worst I can get from them is they're going to steal from me indirectly, and they might send me or my kids off to war. Then when you see, um, you know, like the, like, music videos or uh tupac juice the juice movie it's like i can mm-hmm. never be that and i and it's true i can never be that because i can never be that you see and that is by itself really scary because i don't know what that person is maybe capable of whereas i can identify with that person over there and that seems much less and i mean it's and by the way it's truly racist thinking but that's yeah, I mean, that's what it is. is. It's really the interesting. White, mm. This is systemic. This is systemic racism. Well, <laughs> this system, is, I mean, systemic, when you rewrite history, no, you know what it is. It's just ignorance. Right. It's ignorance. I look at the world so differently after forty-seven episodes. My life has changed, and I've been doing. No, the, I'm talking I've been about doing for, the work. I'm talking about the people. I'm talking about the people that says that that built the system where you could think that way to think. It's fantastic. Oh, that's, that's so smart. It, <laughs> it, it is, it's, right? It's I mean, genius. Hey. Yeah. I'm not taking anything away from the architecture of it. I'm just telling you what the system is. And it's, we're designed to say two behaviors will be seen totally different by who's doing the behavior. And this is and probably. We're seeing that now. Go ahead. This is probably one of the most important episodes we've done. I know I said it before. <laughs> but when you come to the realization, that the system really has been set up um, for you to believe these things. And, you know, obviously I know a lot of this is reinforced through entertainment and media, mm-hmm. but most people can never step back and see that vast difference. There may be people right now listening going, I don't quite get it. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you have to no, step no, back. I, I, it's I, like, I, holy yeah. shit. It's absolutely true. But, and this, but, this but, is the good point. But on the other th- Go ahead. For me, the good thing is when you think about it, when you've had to think about it, your your thinking is is changed forever. That's good news. Yeah, because you see it from uh, and 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 likewise, if you come up on the other side of that coin, you say, "How can they not? How see can it? they not see it? Of course, of course." But when you achieve a certain level in America. And you're not faced with it day by day, then you understand, or or some people don't understand. They just say, "Oh, um, I brought pull myself by, by my own bootstraps." You know, I put myself in this position to succeed. No, you were very lucky mm-hmm. because you didn't get the full brunt of what the system does. That's the only, like I said, the only thing that protected me was my parents, my pr- parental privilege. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Because they made me who realize who I was, what was out there, um, how to navigate the system, uh, and I had a lot of praying praying people for me. I'm gonna just be honest with you because, like I said, one one bad turn yeah. and easily you get caught up in that system. And it, people think, oh, well, you're not getting 20 years for you know, you know, smoking a joint, but it's a slippery slope once you get in that system. Yeah. 
you never can get out because it's, it's probation first. Yeah, and and it's now cumulative. It's, it builds it's up. It's one thing, next thing. And a lot of guys in jail rather just finish their sentence in jail because they understand the system. It's like, nah, I'm not going to your probation or your parole. <laughs> right, just let me get all the way is. out. Now yeah. you want to monitor me for another six years. And yeah. then the more you test, the yeah. more positive. So, it's like, <laughs> so I'll just sit it out here. That's better. That's interesting. Yeah, and it's a real occurrence. Um, but and, just to get back and, to the gang of New York. Oh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was going to say, just going back to the criminal justice reform, uh, a lot of that is early parole, early parole, early parole, which, if I hear you correctly, in some percentage of cases, maybe majority, is actually bad because that's where you get the more testing more cases and it's there's so much risk without a i don't know it just seems like that's where your recidivism comes from well yeah because the old criminal justice system me like you do 10 year 10 days in jail pay your fine and then you're done mm, yeah but now it's like no we're going to give you two years probation okay so you're going to give a 16 year old two years of call it what it is monitoring mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh otg guy you know what I'm saying? <laughs> monitoring and say, okay, if they slip up, then we're going to hit them with a simple penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. would rather go to jail for 10 days and just be done with it, you know, if as long as it didn't affect my record. Right. I mean, my long-term record. Right. I would just rather get it over with, but this is the system. You know, it's, it's no win in this system. Another thing but, you don't think about. Now, a, yeah. good, a good friend of mine did actually uh, go to jail and um, uh, white-collar crime, and he went away mm-hmm. for, I think, 18 months and uh, so I got a real, it, I'd never used, uh, what is it called? Uh, pay mess, J, J pay and J message, which is, you know, the, the jail. Oh, collect calls. Well, collect calls. Oh yeah. But you have to send, I mean, that's what it is. No way. You, you got yeah, to send credits to him and even to reply to a message, he didn't have any email to reply to a message. I had to give him credits, like a dollar an email, a, a message so he could send something back to me and, you know, he would write to me, and of course, that would always arrive opened and all that crap. But forget that. His parole period and the the shackles that he has, uh, metaphorically speaking, are are insane. Right. And and this it's it's been hard for him to get his life back together because you know he was more on higher end. Uh, um, you know, biz, He was doing business stuff, so no one wants to do business with him. Because he's got a record. Oh, he got to check the box. He got to check he, the he box. He has to check the box. That's right. Uh, well, he can't raise money. Box. He can't raise money through the traditional means because of the box. Yeah. So let, let me let me have one quick aside before we continue with this clip about the box. I've known several people to not check the box, show up to work, be great employees. Some of the best employees. I mean, when I was working, you know, in warehouses and things of that nature during college. And then they come to find out they run their background check on them and then they walk them out. But I'm like, hold on. Yeah. You wouldn't have made it in the door if he does check the box. Yeah. Now that you he's proven himself to be reliable, probably more reliable than, you know, people yeah. that didn't have that hanging over their head. And it's like, oh, no, you're you're a felon. You're get him out of here. Yeah. It's like, but you work with this guy for two months. I mean, he's a great guy. No, nah, get him out of here. So this, like I said, this is the system. Yeah. This is the system. Yeah. Um, so let's just get back into the yeah. gangs in New York part two. 
Boss Tweed, William Marcy Tweed, was himself of Irish stock and grew up in the East Side tenement, uh, came up through the ranks and was in one of the leading lights, if not the leading light of Tammany Hall. He pulled the strings. He controlled the gangs to the degree that the gangs were an unofficial arm of enforcement. Um, the gangs were not officially on the city payroll, but certainly some of the gangs function as if they effectively were on the city payroll, and they worked for whoever happened to be wielding the most power. That's how gangs operate, you know, besides protecting themselves in their turf, they are available for hire to whoever holds the club, and, um, and since Tweed did, he effectively hold, controlled the gangs. Once again, notice Boss Tweed, Shit. this alter ego. Yeah. You know, he didn't go by his regular name. It was Boss. I mean, that his name had to ring bells in the streets. And so you go by this moniker and your moniker really gets bigger than, you know what I'm saying? Your personality gets bigger or the persona gets bigger than who you really are. So I'm just I'm just wrapping it up. Like when you start when you start want to start pointing the finger at black on black crime. Hey. Everybody in America had criminal elements in their so-called race. So, I mean, so just chill with that. And I'm, I asked this question. I don't have an answer to it. But is black people just going through this because we're delayed and we're going through our Wild West phase now? <laughs> and I'm, I'm asking. I mean, it's a, it's a legitimate question, right? I mean, because at some point you had, you know, uh, the McCoys and the Hatfields. You know, I mean, these things progressed and then, you know, America became more civilized. So I'm just wondering, is it a a delayed effect with so-called black people? I'm just asking. I don't don't know. uh, I'm not saying I'll leave one side or the other. Well, let's let's address it for a second, because earlier. Yes. Well, when we when we played the, the gangs of New York, I mean. As far as I know, from the time period, there were no black people to be in the gang because they had other jobs, <laughs> quote, quote, right, unquote, right. jobs. So that's why they weren't there. So it's that's an interesting question. If that is a, a process of maturation as as a human group, you know, as a human, because obviously you know, you're a, you're a group of people. Uh, you share a lot with everybody else, but shit, yeah, you got a big delay on uh, on a lot of stuff. It's very possible. I, I mean, that's something you need to ask, uh, you know, like Brett Weinstein or something. You know, some social social biologist guy. I, that's a great. That's a, ooh, I almost said it, but it's a pretty good, damn good question. I don't. I don't know. Right. And, and who knows? We might be on our way to our own Harvard's or Yale's or Columbia's. I'm out in China, and I find that the, the grandfather of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, his name was Warren Delano, was the opium king of China. The fortune that Franklin Delano Roosevelt lived off of, uh, custom-made suits, nice houses, sailboats, vacations, summer homes, he didn't make that money. He inherited from Grandpa Warren Delano, the opium king of China. Cabot House at Harvard, opium. Skull and bone at Yale, opium. The the low library at Columbia, opium money. The, the if you go on the Princeton website, at least they're honest. They will admit that their first biggest benefactor, John Green, was an opium dealer with Warren Delano. So uh, the book is full of surprises. I'll let you judge. It didn't change my view about America so much. What it did is change my view about American historians. Huh. <laughs> 
All right, so I tell you my first thought. All dope money. So I tell you when I my first <laughs> thought when I heard that. So that? back to the maturation process. So let's just say you've got fifty years at least delay in in the modern gangster society, uh, at least. So now you've got a new type of opium. It's fentanyl. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe this is uh, your time. This is your time to build up big, uh, big fentanyl uh, empires. And the Chinese are feeding but There's, all, there's and, only and one it, problem. Okay. Go ahead. There's only one problem. There's no bottom for us to sell to. We were the bottom for all those other <laughs> uh, uh, groups. Right. There's nobody behind us for us to sell to, so we sell to ourselves, so we're taking money out of one pocket and put it into the other pocket on the yeah. same pair of pants. Yeah, yeah. That's all that's happening because I always allude back to this pivotal uh, scene in The Godfather. And I, excuse me for saying this, but he said, keep it down there with the niggers. Right. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. The same person that made the five gangs of New York, <laughs> uh, Martin <laughs> S- uh, S- Scorsese. <laughs> So I'm just saying, like, that, that till the we're we're at the bottom, and 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 as I'll prove later in this show, black men is the are the bottom of the bottom. <laughs> uh, yeah, it hurts me when you say I mean. that. That really hurts when you say that. But I I, I understand what you're saying in a generalization. No, way. I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. So what, what I'm saying is this: I'm not saying it as a it's a death sentence. I'm just saying that this is the, you know, prognosis. It's like, this is, you know, you're, you're fighting for your life with, you know, whatever ailment. Uh, now, can we win? Can we beat it? Of course. I well, not think we could beat anything, but it's like you have to have an accurate diagnosis of the problem before you can even start to treat it. And it is so accurate when you look at what is happening today. I asked uh, Joe Rogan, I said, name one black leader of uh, one male leader in Black Lives Matter. Is there any is there any black man you know who is leading the charge in any type of movement at this moment? And he said, "No." He said, "I don't even know who Black Lives Matters leaders are." I said, "You know, colors." You know, no, okay. He kind of knew that, but he, yeah, he had to admit. I said, "That's the problem. That's the problem. That that's the real victim here." And the solution is this conversation we're having here, Adam. First, the white man and the black man have to be able to sit down at the same table. The white man has to feel free to speak his mind without hurting the feelings of that Negro. And the so-called Negro has to feel free to speak his mind without hurting the feelings of the white man. Then they can bring the issues that are under the rug out on top of the table and take an intelligent approach to get the problem solved. That's the only way that they'll ever do it. That's right. In the words of Malcolm X, that is the only way we'll do it. And that's what we attempt to do every single episode of MoFax with Adam Curry. And uh, as you notice, we have no commercials. There's no commercial interest. That's the antipathy of of what we're all about. We probably wouldn't be able to survive that way anyway because, (laughs) well, there's a reason why this conversation doesn't happen in mainstream media and entertainment. And as you can tell, there's uh, it's actually against the entire system to do this. So we've chosen to be supported by the producers who help us out with feedback, with really a a lot of positive support, not just financial, but words as well. And uh, we appreciate it so we can continue to do this with with complete transparency. It's it's just a fantastic system. We call it value for value. And we like to accredit uh, some real some real 
um, accolades to our top donors for each episode. So these are our executive producers and associate executive producers of episode number 48 of MoFax with Adam Kerr. And we start off with Dwayne Melanthon, a uh, a long-term supporter of uh, the No Agenda show. In fact, I believe he is a Grand Duke. And he comes in by sending us, thank you, Dwayne, $357.45. Gentlemen, I love doing the work with you both on the 45 Savage episode. Was surprised Mo didn't also point out that the Joker is also the ultimate Trump card. <laughs> uh, here this is, is true. This is absolutely true. Here is my hashtag GBG donation for a 357 and a 45. Okay. <laughs> so the GBG <laughs> hashtag is a MoFax with Adam Curry exclusive. It is our uh, hashtag promotion. Uh, give blacks guns if you're going to give uh, a black man or woman anything. And uh, so we now have an official GBG donation, 357 and a 45. He'd love a, uh, a, a Mo Karma, and he wants a biscuit. We can do they that. They always give me a biscuit on my birthday. There you go. <laughs> You've got Mo Karma. Sir Cole Calistra, 133.33. Mo and Adam, thanks so much for enlightening and entertaining me. When I heard you play a clip from people like us, I knew it was time to donate. Please de-deadbeat me and send me a Mo Karma Woosa. Hey, we had the de-deadbeat, the de- didn't we? Where the hell did I? Yes, here we go. Yeah, uh, yes. I got it. We got, uh, I think this is it. No, <laughs> he wants to be de-deadbeated. Here we go. You ain't deadbeat. <laughs> no, that's it. Wait, <laughs> I don't know which one. Did that de-deadbeat? No, what's this one? Ew, you're a deadbeat. Okay, we haven't used no, these you're yet. Dead beating them again. No, I know. Yeah. I haven't used these yet. I got it's the wrong color code. Here we go. Congratulations, you're no longer a deadbeat. <laughs> <laughs> You've got Mocom. Oh, he needs a woosa too. Woosa. Now that I've tried them out, you know, all new equipment, all, all, all new pieces of the show is new. Now that I understand how they work, I, I think we'll be good. And that, of course, is our very own James Denifer who uh, who did that for us. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, Sir Calistra, thank you. Uh, BTC Buyer, $110. Love the podcast. Noah from Phoenix. Uh, David Keyes, $100. Noah Agenda and MoFax are the two best podcasts in the universe. Keep it up, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Chris Malmy, $100. Hello, Mo and Adam from Cherry Valley, Massachusetts. Listening to episode 47 now and had to stop the show to donate. That's the way we love it, by the way. The information we hear on show on your show is invaluable. Both of us work full-time and have a four-year-old, and there's no time to do the research and presentation you provide. We've been discussing options over the past few days on what to do now that Massachusetts is mandating vaccines. Yeah, yeah, especially with so that's for flu and for the, the the Rona, of course. After the research we've done, heard on no agenda, and now your research on show 47, it almost feels criminal to let them inject my son. We are considering a move to another state or stay and have no daycare. It's it's just insane. Not a happy citizen. Thankfully, we have some sanity in our lives with MoFax, No Agenda, Darren O'Neill, and all the other podcasts sprouted from the No Agenda. Thank you very much. Sincerely. Chris Malmy, and obviously, you know, you're responsible adults, you know, don't take any advice from us. I don't think we gave any, um, but I'm very, very happy to see that you're, you know, you're researching and you're thinking about it. 
And that's always a good thing. And thank you so much for supporting us here on the show. Um, $100 also an executive producer from uh, Anonymous from Parts Unknown. Thank you. Jesse Cruz comes in with $100. Um, Hey, Michael and Scotty. Sir Jesse Cruz here. I guess he has nicknames for us. I canceled some OnlyFans subscriptions, and I'm giving some value for value. I don't want to feel like a white NBA basketball player with the word ally on my back. <laughs> who was that? Who was that? Who, who, was, it's one of the Heat, I think. Who had the ally on it? The one white guy in the team. Fill in the blank. It's a bunch of... It's like... Uh, it's a fill in the blank. It's, it's like, here, you take the ally jersey. Give the ally jersey to the white guy. It's, it's so messed up. It's like, no, this is wrong, man. All right, the ally, the ally hoodie. All right. So how about us producers working towards the title of uh, Vizier? Vizier. Uh, Mo showed us. Me. Well, Mo showed us that it is what boule simply means. Oh, oh, visor. Oh, advisor. I think. Oh, okay. An advisor okay. to the king, a vizier. Now we we got some levels coming up and, and a cool idea, which you know we're not going to talk about today. Uh, we're. we're I, I think we're rolling them out by fifty. About 50, maybe maybe fifty is the right time to roll it out. We got some work to do, Mo. <laughs> we it's got a milestone. Some, we, I'm just I know, but but people got to understand. Like for for Chris uh, Chris Malmy and his family, you know, I'll just say it, Mo. He's got four human resources. You know, he's got a he's got a job, and you know, and I see the 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 preparation he does. You know, it's, yeah. Phew. We we <laughs> there's a lot of work that goes into all this, and we're getting you know trying to get the the back office together and we and we still have to get the the paypal uh, automatic uh subscription donation set up so and, and i've also been crazy doing stuff you know the new podcasting 2.0 i gotta save our asses <laughs> so uh we're working on it but we're, it, it took no agenda many years to get our crap together so but at least we have and, a format. and that's the beauty of it that everybody's seeing this <clears throat> we had no plan coming into this and i mean each episode we don't have a plan uh it's just you're witnessing how something naturally comes together so gonna be bumps it's gonna be bruises but just take you know take joy in the fact that you're witnessing something develops from the from the very ground up so definitely exactly exactly and uh we also have to give uh uh, jesse cruz some goat mo karma so we can do that You've got Mo Adam Choi, $100. Hey, Mo and Adam. Rona Mo, immigrant here from uh, here for value for value. Rona Mo is from Rogan Show to No Agenda to Mo Facts. It is a the trifecta. It's almost like, uh, oh, shit, what was that? Uh, what is it? Oscar, Grammy, Emmy, Tony. Is it EGOT? Isn't it EGOT? Yeah, I think it's EGOT, yeah. Yeah. So this is this is the podcast EGOT, the Rona Mo. And Adam Choi continues, I think we are blessed because this is a young podcast. Each episode has a central theme or topic, and each episode has an extensive and diverse collection of supporting facts and evidence. Therefore, I find that it's been very easy and interesting to listen to the older episodes, as they've not aged too much or become irrelevant. It would be very difficult to listen to some older episodes of No Agenda or some Joe Rogan experience because... The many of the discussions are centered around current events, and there are thousands of episodes. Not hating, but they're a different type of podcast. That's true. Uh, that puts MoFax in a unique position today. I'm excited for, each, for what each episode has to deliver. Yes, it's a very important part of the format. 
A producer dropped a Mark Twain quote in the Killer Wasp episode. I would like to leave you two with two Mark Twain quotes, one originally attributed to Grant Allen, that I think is extremely relevant in today's culture of indoctrination. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Don't let your schooling interfere with your education. And education is what is left when you've forgotten what you were taught. (laughs) Yes, those are great quotes. Mo Karma for all the (laughs) listeners. You bet. Absolutely. That's a great one. You've got Mo Karma. Martin Olson, $100 as well, and an executive producer, as are the rest we've mentioned so far on the episode. Sorry it's been so long since my last donation. My previous job as a dude named Ben was outsourced to India, Ugh. and I needed to wait until I had something new. I now have a new gig, and I wanted to give back, I give big thanks to the quality product you have put out over the past year. Thank you, Martin, and uh, very happy that you got a new gig. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Luis Wakefield. $100 from her as well. I'm so grateful for you guys and your rabbit holes, rational minds, and open hearts. It's so refreshing to feel like we're listening to people talk opening. Listening to you both learn is a joy. It's the only way through this mess. That's right. In the, the famous words of uh, Malcolm X. Uh, here uh, also yep. with an executive, uh, oh, these are associate executive producers. We have Thomas Kelly Tate with $76. Uh, Ergarn, fellas, how's it going in New Zealand speak? Ergarn, Ergarn, I think. Greetings from Melbourne, China. (laughs) (laughs) So much to say about what's happening in Victoria. (laughs) We understand. That is not what you say. Yeah, 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 it took me a minute too. Yeah, we're there. This show uh, brought about legit and profound shit in my thinking, and I'm very gracious for the tools to see things through a different lens. Exactly. Uh, What's said about class sparked thoughts about how the native Maori in New Zealand are seen back home and how the crown system fucked them royal. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how you can apply this to almost every country? The same scenario. It's the system. The, the same system. That's right. That's absolutely right. And Black Lives Matter is in the UK. It's in the Netherlands. It's all over the world. It's not the same problem, but it's the same system being applied. Uh, sending you guys a cosmic love offering from lockdown. Give me a Mo Karma. And if acceptable, a Barry Obama. Take that to the bank hip hop version. Do we have that? I don't think we do. I. Uh, Maybe that's something that I'm unaware of. Uh, take that. Let me just see. You never know. Something. Sometimes strange things happen. Take that to the bank. I don't think there ever was a hip-hop version of it that we had. You can take that to the bank. I got that part. So, no. If you have it, send it to me, because it's definitely something I need. Uh, also, call out my brother, Harry Keller Tate. Yes, we have a we have a special jingle for you, uh, uh, Harry Kelly Tate. Ew, you're a deadbeat. <laughs> First time Shame. we used it. Nice, feels Shame. good. Shame. Shame <laughs> on Shame. you. By the way, this is about 76 bucks in dollary dues. Uh, yes, I got it. Thank we, you. But... We recognize the dollar. Whatever's yes. your dollar is our dollar. Right. So, <laughs> so that actually means that he, he came in as an executive producer. Since he he probably put uh he probably put a hundred dollar uh, dues. No, uh, I actually I actually put him at seventy six. That's what that's he's actually right. I no, I understand. Value, whatever he donated. Yeah. Oh yeah, but his but he it would have been a hundred. 
Australian dollars. Not that dollars. he gave us 76 Australian dollars and it was oh, lower. Oh, I see so what you did. I always okay. get whatever, whatever we value you donate, oh, okay. that's oh, your that's value. Good. Oh, that's <laughs> so, nice. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So that's the, we just say that that is the value. It's good because that's the yes. way it's going to go when we all have to work with Bitcoin and Satoshi. So it's good to, good to learn that. <laughs> the apocalypse is coming. You're going to need a Bitcoin. Did you need anything else here? Was there some other... Uh... Yeah, Mo Karma. Make sure we do that, Mo Karma. We didn't have his hip-hop version, but... You've got... <laughs> Mo Karma? What's that? We have a new uh, a new jingle, but uh, we didn't have his hip-hop version. So give, maybe give him a, Amazing. Oh, yeah. Hold on a second. I got the amazing and the others. Amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm building up a whole system here. This is so good. I love building up this show. It's so much fun. All right. On with our uh, next uh, ex- uh, associate executive producer, KR. Um, what do you think doing a roundtable discussion on Joe Rogan's show that analyzes the stats and history of racial issues? I can think of a few experts and personalities, including you guys, that would be interesting to assemble for such a discussion. I'm concerned that too many November voters will be voting based on incorrect stats and incorrect history. You guys have the decency, power, and talent to ease racial tensions and educate America without pushing any particular political goals or preferred politicians. If this doesn't sound like a lame idea, finer details of the proposal are in my email uh, sent on August 31st. Um, KR, uh, thank you very much. And here's my thoughts on it. And then Mo can uh, let us know what he thinks. This is, so first of all, I love the the Malcolm, the Malcolm X quote. It's going to take one white man and one black man to sit down across the table. He doesn't say a group of white men, black. No, (laughs) this is it. This is the core. This is it. This This this, is it. This is the core of this, the mission. If there was any mission. And And I love, you know, Dr. King with, you know, uh, I've seen the mountaintop and judge not a man by the color of skin, but by the by, by his character. But this is this is where we got to do the stuff. So um, this, you know, Hotep Jesus is another example of this. It, it, you know, different, mm-hmm. different. But what's interesting here is what we don't talk about necessarily the issues of the day, but how we got here. And that's what's so right. cool about it. How that, we that's the, got that's the whole point. Yeah. How do we, how do we get, you know, we're peeling back the layer leaf by leaf, layer by layer to get how we got here. And as you said before, it's a one-on-one thing. It's it, not one size fit all. You have to get to know the person. How can you judge them by the content of the character? If you don't know their character. Exactly. So. Or their background <laughs> or where they're coming from, just where they're coming right. from. Uh, thanks, KR. Another associate executive producer donation. Of course, these are from uh, over two weeks, and it's so appreciated that you've carried us over. So it's a little bit long. We've broken it up into two segments. Uh, and we are at Joseph Divaniero, who got uh, $75 as well. Mo and Adam was catching up on old episodes. Episode 9, One Drop was the title of that, reminded me of a colorism experience I saw while working in New York. Two women I worked with were black and had a darker skin tone. I remember one of them would always make fun of Drake, and now he and his music were light skin. Also, when either of them would excessively complain or whine, the other would tell them to stop acting light skin. I appreciate all you guys have taught me so far. Found the show at episode 37. Can't wait for what's in store for the rest of the back catalog. I thank you guys for keeping my amygdala small and all the intentional misinformation from the M5M. 
I don't know if this is possible. I'd like to start the petition to get Mo on an agenda of Rogan. Would love to see this conversation Mo and Joe would have. But let me tell you, my mission is to get Mo to that level and far beyond. Uh, so uh, I'm not targeting any 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 way. Uh, I think if we do our work and we expose what we're doing and producers do their work and expose and propagate, let people know about it, everything's going to fall into place exactly the way it should. Uh, you want to respond to the light skin acting uh, thing? Just another form of the other uh, racial war. Yeah. A lot of times you're going to find out the racial war is really a civil war. You don't really have a lot of interracial war going on. It's really intraracial. Intra. Intraracial. Yeah. Yes. With A. Yes. Exactly. Uh, David Roll. So that's just another example of it. <laughs> just another example of colorism. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. And it's everywhere. It's in so many communities. 75, Associate Executive Producership for David Roll. 66 for Curtis Collins. Uh, much love from Jen and Kurt. Love the show. Doing the work. <laughs> Saves us from the killer vaccine. Kanye King 2024. And Adam, let's get a Swamp Thing ISO, please. Rock and roll. Oh, my goodness. That's pretty bad. Okay, let's see if I... <laughs> Do I, ha- do I have the Swamp Thing? I don't think I... I have... Uh, geez, I do have that. What is this? I'm Blotto. I have, I have the Blotto. The Blotto. I was really Blotto. <laughs> is that it? What is this? Maybe this is it. Adam Curry. This is it? You see, I know you're not real, man. Because I'm loaded, okay? I've had some experience in that area. Besides, that whole rap of yours is bull anyway. Good, evil. It's all the same crap. Rock and roll is the only thing that counts. Dig, hard ass, blistering, awesome, heavy metal, rock and roll. (laughs) (laughs) That was from uh, my huge acting career as uh, Nathan, uh, the rock god on Swamp Thing. And, and just a little inside mo, a little mo inside baseball. Swamp thing scared the crap out of me as a kid. Uh, so. <laughs> I could traumatize you with my episode. It's so good, man. So good. That thing <laughs> creeped me out. <laughs> oh man, thank you very much, Curtis. Uh, Sixty dollars from Drake Biscardi from uh, the Davis Dragon in the name of his smoking hot wife Amy. It's a family affair. Revolving donation to come soon. Let us know how. Yes, that is getting done. This show is worth a hell of a lot more than the damn Netflix donation I give every month. Oh, man. Thank you, Drake. Appreciate it. Sarah Gardner, $56. Open my eyes, Mo. And belated birthday to Adam. Thank you. Uh, We've got um, Timothy Pierce. Love you, too. Reside. Keep making the word flesh. Okay, 5555. Indeed, indeed. Yes. And we have another anonymous donation, 5334. Mo, I've been very impressed with the work you and Mr. Curry put into the show. It is very thorough and eye-opening as to the race, class, and gender divide that is U.S.-based. As we know now, it's not just all U.S.-based. Much of it is eminently transferable to other shores. That's right. I certainly noticed some crossover in Britain, but our problems are also different in subtle ways. I would like to plug Akala's book, Natives, for those who want to understand the UK imperialism. He is also an excellent speaker on many subjects and is worth following. Being this is donated in sterling, I have no idea what the conversion of the donated amount will end up at, but Mr. Curry will be pleased to hear that a proportion of this is provided by a value-for-value guitar lesson I did under lockdown. We're both pleased with that. Anyway, I've sent you a very long email that was inspired by episode 9, 
the subject that is ever present but not oft discussed in most all British media, let alone elsewhere. I will outline here just a teaser, uh, which is Welsh, not typically, uh, which is N-O-T, I guess. The knot was a piece of wood, a ruler or stick, which was often inscribed with the letters W-N. This was given to the first pupil to be heard speaking Welsh. When another child was heard using Welsh, the knot, N-O-T, was taken from its current holder and given to the latest offender. Whoever was in possession of the knot was encouraged to pass it on to any of their Welsh-speaking classmates by informing the teacher they had caught someone else speaking Welsh. The pupil in possession at the end of the day was subjected to corporal punishment or other penalty. Man, the mind control is strong. This is crazy. Keep doing the work. Let me say something. Let me say something about the Welsh who live in Wales. When I was flying in the UK, I had a flight instructor, you know, and flight pilots, you know, and he would go with me more as a safety pilot because he knew the area, uh, which I like having a safety pilot who's, who knows the area and has been like an air, uh, airline transportation pilot. And he says, the one thing you got to know here in the, in the United Kingdom, in Britain, what's that? If you need to make an emergency landing anywhere but Wales. <laughs> so that's mind control has kept on going through through generations with that kind of stuff. Um, keep doing the work. I look forward to throwing more money your way when I have the resources. Jingle wise, a good mo karma will be appreciated. Okay. Uh, all right. So I will make sure that. Uh, let me just say here. And we have a anonymous. Yeah, we hold on a second. Okay, let me just set some, set some, and we're going to continue. $53 from Andrew Jade. Well, I should probably wrap that last one up. And thank you yeah. again. So, and thank you again so much, Anonymous. Andrew Jade Giannettio, who is another Ronomo listener. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. G-Man, the security guy, 53. Thank you so much. Eric Hochul, our buddy from Deutschland. No note, but 52 uh, uh, Deutschmarks, <laughs> Euros. Thank you so much, Eric. 5150, which, as we know, is the code for take him away with the white suits. Harvey Smith, Mo, great education. Thank you. And then uh, our $50 donors, also the associate executive producers uh, for episode 48, uh, Cassidy Eastwood, no note. Uh, Garlene Copeland, this show is a life cast, not a podcast. Mo and Adam break it down for all to understand, yet enjoy. My favorite episodes were 44, 50, 45, and 46. It, it is a set. It, you, could, you could have this set of the presidents in a leather-bound, handsome leather-bound um, box. This is my first and, time. Oh, no, 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 no. In a, in a, in a renewable, reusable tote <laughs> to carry your vegan kale. <laughs> With your bamboo straw. Right. Not condemning, just laughing at you. This is my first time donating, uh, Garlene says, $50 on my way to be a lady or a duchess. Well, we ha- we'll have new names here, but we look forward to that. We'll have something for you for sure. Keep up the excellent work, guys. I'd like a Mo Karma for all. Of course, we've got that for you. You've got Mo Karma. I just want to make sure I got a, I got a Mo Karma for our anonymous previously, so I just I can't remember if I did that. You've got there we go. So much administration. Uh, Kenneth Barnhouse, uh, not always what I think, but always makes me think. 
Thank you, Kenneth. That's very nice the way you said that. Lindsay Heitman, $50. Mo and Adam, thank you for talking about the mental health shaming of Kanye. As someone with mental health problems, watching that play out in the media reinforced every negative stereotype I've had of myself. Side note, there's research that shows people with some mental health issues make better crisis leaders. So Kanye just might be, quote, the lunatic we're looking for. And she has a link uh, that, and there is some evidence, psychology today. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Hopefully my donation made it through PayPal. Yes, it did. Uh, thank you so much, Lindsay. We really appreciate that. I'm going to make this note here so we get that in there. And we, gosh, we got a, this is so much today. We got a couple more associate executive producers. Colin Howard, Mo and Adam, thank you for all the eye-opening paradigm-shifting discussions and deep dives into racial topics that are never touched on by the Boulay-dominated MSM you are truly doing the work in showing how incomplete our national conversation on black and race issues has been. Lootsafe.org. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Lootsafe.org, L-O-O-T-S-A-F-E.org, has created a new platform to address those who chant people over property as a way to rationalize looting and rioting. Instead of sitting on the sidelines and faux virtue signaling, LootSafe.org provides a resource for privileged noodle boys and girls to put their money where their mouth is and boost their social morality enhancement, or SME, in the process. SME is the answer to... I'm doing the ad for him. SME is the answer (laughs) to resolving guilt associated with privilege and is boosted exponentially with each successive loot space owner achievement. You've got to see this. You have to see lootsafe.org. It is so funny. You can rent out your your apartment or your or your office for people to loot. So, you know, you actually, you know, you you're you're walking the talk. And as the bonus, say. as a bonus, we've registered gucciireparations.com in honor of the cut humor. I that's one thing you if you let us, if you stop shaming us, Americans have great senses of humor and it's a healing power when we throw our humor smack down is my opinion so as a bonus he's registered gucciireparations.com in honor of the fearless chicago blm leader statement regarding the looting there and it is now forwarding to mofax.com thanks for all you do mo karma is all we need for the jingles thank you very much you guys hilarious you've got mo karma point made tinyempire.com 50 dollars. the civil war between white people is call is is what some call quote a struggle between the classes yes exactly what it is david drake 50 dollars Mo and Adam, this is my second donation. I literally wait anxiously for every episode. The work you put into these episodes and the outcome is entertaining and informative. He opened my eyes to Malcolm X, so I started reading his biography from Manning Marable. You could say I'm doing the work, but doing it my way. Keep it up. Beautiful, beautiful, David. Thank you. Lawrence Wittinitz. Uh, thank you guys for doing this show. I've learned so much and enjoyed the last episode about wasps. My dad tried to hit me in the mouth with no agenda and Mo facts last fall, but only Mo facts stuck at the time. I've not missed an episode since. Thank you so much for all the value you've put out. I love listening from Madrid. 
Thank you, Lauren, and we love that you are listening from Madrid. Eric Tolbert, also $50, donating for my fantastic wife, Miss Mercy. She's one of your biggest fans and turned me on to your show. Uh, keep up the great work. Eric, the mad farmer. Thank you, Eric. William Taylor, 50, also an associate executive producer, of course. Hig Hawker says, thank you for the education. Kathleen Bacchus, $50, been learning since March lockdown. Please keep it up from Lacey, Washington, only 150 miles from beautiful downtown Portlandia. And that's from Kathleen. Uh, Maria, I think, Maria, your podcast is great listening on a road trip. Thank you for your support, Maria. Susan, uh, $50, uh, apparently love show 47. John Taylor, $50, would like a woosa. Woosa. Oh, a goat. We'll add it. <laughs> uh, Ed Siemens, uh, $50, thank you so much. And those are our associate and uh, uh, executive producers, associate executive producer and executive producers, for episode 48 of MoFax with Adam Curry, we will be back with uh, more people who came in under the $50 level. But first, a reminder that you can support us by going to MoFax.com or directly to the donation page at MoFundMe.com, M-O-E-F-U-N-D-M-E.com. Now we have to get into the mindset and the system that we referred to earlier that's being played on so-called black people. So there's this uh, very popular YouTuber called Days of Noah, and he speaks about this phenomenon in Reliving 2016 and Jacob Blake. Let's break down the confabulations here. First and foremost, in order for blacks to have a respected voice, we must demonstrate a balanced and unconditional concern for our community. As a group, it has miserably failed at this required step. How? Well, let's focus on the word unconditional. We seem to only have rage against injustice under specific conditions. These are if a non-black or white action violates a black body. Though we by habit tend to ignore when we violate our own. There is a curse of enmity between us spiritually. And an engineered psychological trauma induced systemically but that life shall hang in doubt before thee and thou shalt fear day and night and shall have none assurance of thy life see blacks have become an astonishment a, a proverb and a byword blackness is bought and sold as a product Generationally, our culture has been and continues to be formulated through the establishment media machine. And visuals of cops killing blacks is just part of the psychological traumatization, which in turn produces a black victimhood and perpetuates a state of generational victimization. I think I've seen this guy. Maybe the the Twitter algo threw me that or something. Tell me again what the YouTube channel. I want to make sure we have that in the show notes. Days of Noah. This is D A Y Z of Noah. That's N O A H. Okay. Very very uh, deep brother. Um, has a master's degree in sociology. It doesn't matter what his credentials are, but just to make sure people take him seriously. Because when you say YouTuber, that smacks of a certain... Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's only a little you know, better than podcaster. Right. So they <laughs> want to put you in a box. But you have some yeah. very serious people, as you're going to hear later in this episode, on YouTube making a case for the young black male and the black male in general. 
Yes. And as he stated here, the only time, as well as alluding to before, the only time it really matters is when it's somebody of non-black descent kills a black person. Uh, so we have to be unconditional with this. So now we're getting to the portion of the show where, yeah, what about black on black crime? Because I mean, that is coming from people like him, myself, that are serious about having that conversation, not using it as a tool of deflection. We really have to look at what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he like he, he broke it down. He was like that. Basically. The trauma feeds into making us victims, the victimhood feeds into devaluing our life and then it results into a devalued life sees another person as devalued life like we saw in juice saying i'm not it you know saying you're less than me you know so i can take you out at any time that's that's the cycle and this is why you see over and over again black young black men callously taking other young black men's lives so i mean it, it is a realization and we spotted the system now it's just bringing attention to this system that that's been identified so now we are speaking of juice he he makes a reference to that as well in this next clip oh but you blacks keep killing other blacks why don't you ever address that we hear that all the time uh though this is true and um one of my uh, personal arguments as well i understand why and this why is rarely addressed so let's address it let's put this argument to bed for good uh, with three words pathological generational desensitization see through generations of socially pitting blacks against blacks through pigmentation class and uh, phenotype a self-hatred is psychologically created if you hate yourself you will hate your brother and your sister in addition to this internal abuse externally blacks have become desensitized to killing other blacks through a strategic and ubiquitous debased death culture a culture of death where murder and uh, intracultural conflict is glorified if you got the juice you get the respect yeah <laughs> And, and he, as he said, it's a generational thing. Yeah. It's you know, it's constant generational uh, desensitization. Yeah. Uh, it's it, I, 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 I'm at a loss for words because here we are. I'm, you have young black men dying in the street. No one really cares except for how they can extract it and use it for currency to push their their own narrative and causes. If they died um, in the right way. And as, and and exactly, and as he said, as the uh, producer wrote in the letter, you hear people say, oh, you're light-skinned, you know, you're acting light-skinned. So you have all these different fractures and battling points, you know, you're light-skinned, you're dark-skinned, you're acting dark-skinned, black is ugly. You know, this is within the race. We we haven't even stepped outside and start talking about interracial relationships. This is all intra. And this is what devalues the, the, you know, devalues black life in itself. And if you notice, black lives matter doesn't say black people matter or black men matter. It's black lives. Lives is a product now. 
it's a product. It's yeah. just like MLK or anything else. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, um, how does it impact black lives? I mean, no, how does it impact humans, people, you know, but they don't, they want to dehumanize them for their own, uh, own purposes. And like I said, <laughs> we'll get to that well, later. It's, it's, uh, it's a very, shortly, so, but it's later. a very sophisticated productization. Yeah. Cause who are we talking about? When we say lives. I mean, you could, if we heard even, we even heard them say when they talk about what they're trying to change, at their tech talks a while back in a few shows, I mean, like early on in the making of the show, they went off on global warming and all these other things, but never said black men. Never. And I know I'm harping on black men. No, 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 no. But I want to thank you. Thank you again, because this, because that's something that's so bothersome about black lives. It is actually a degenerative generalization Black people would have, you know, of course, that somehow would be racist, I'm sure. Uh, but they'd never, they, it's dehumanized by, because what are the other, you know, it's like so many lives were lost on the good ship Titanic. You know, it's like it, it, it doesn't really right. personalize it in any way. And what it also does when they say Black Lives Matter, you can move the goalposts. Because, yeah, we brought you, it's like, the, it's the what's it called, the lost leader? <laughs> yes. Black men are the lost leader. Yes. Like, it gets you through the door. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, come on in. Now let's talk about trans lives and let's talk about how uh, global warming affects people of color. And, you know, all it's, the, uh, it's like it gets you in the door and yeah. you can shift what lives mean. Uh, when you talk about. That's very, you know, that's a very important point. That's a very important point. <laughs> Because and they the don't want to bring you right in the their face. Their business model is, and yeah, but shit stares yeah, you right in the face. You never think is, about it. Yeah, I, and I understand, and that's what's so frustrating for black men. It's like, do y'all not understand? But now, when it starts to affect other demographics, people start realizing, like, wow, you know, or we start to get a voice because what happened is here. Before with the boule, they could pick who they want to talk for us, right? But now when you bring up this top topic of black on black crime and death of black men and those things of nature, you have people like Days of Noah, other gentlemen that we played on the show, even myself, say, no, 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 no. You're not going to control the narrative about us. We're going to control this narrative. That's what caused the political fraction in the Democratic Party or the black voting Democrats, because black men say, no, if it doesn't address us, we're not for it. You know, usually they just tell us to shut up and vote. I mean, you heard people say those little words of shut up and vote. Yep. Uh, but now we're saying, no, unless it address us, unless it's tangible, unless you have a tangible way you can drive down the number of lives lost. We'll, we'll take it from here. We'll talk for ourselves. <laughs> I think it's lives. Uh, it's lives saved or created, I believe, is the term. Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> like jobs. Yeah. Jobs. Lives saved or created. created. Yes. <laughs> That's how politicians measure stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right, so that is good. But it, but just so you know, because and of course you know, but I want to reiterate it. Mm-hmm. Right. So black men are saying, why don't they see what's going on? Because we literally didn't. Because we we're all wrapped up on our own shit, obviously. And in all fairness, the people doing the speaking inside those rooms uh, were were not allies to us, black men. No, of course not. Even though they shared the same pigment and melanin (laughs) in their skin Mm -hmm. it's like we're gonna for our agenda first you know we have a 
we have an opportunity here. And just to foreshadow a little bit, we saw this with the VP selection. It wasn't about stopping black men getting killed. You know, I mean, it was like we want a black female president. I mean, vice president, excuse me. Uh, but we'll we'll get to we'll get there. But let's let Days and Noah finish up speaking on creating culture. See, uh, decades upon decades of this type of detrimental programming has rendered the black culture into a zealous Ouroboros, taking pride in eating its own tail. This is why it's so easy for blacks to kill blacks and not feel injustice. Because for decades, black-on-black conflict has been justified through establishment-controlled media, major motion pictures, and the music industry. We can always refer back to our studies on Plato, our studies on Algis Huxley, and many others in their focus on how music alone has a spiritual power and can literally condition the spirit and the mind through sound and melody. These things aren't to be debated. This is why the music industry is so heavily utilized to socially engineer the public and create culture single-handedly. <laughs> He's good. That guy's good. I like him. There you have it. They've used culture or so-called culture. I mean, it's a very toxic, really it's a culture of death. And I want to say this, it's a cult of death. Let me, let me correct that. Because Kalima, remember thugs come from Thuggy. Mm-hmm. Thuggy comes from India, which was a cult that worshipped Kalima, mm-hmm. which was the destroyer god or goddess, however you want to look at it. And this death cult continues on. Now you have black men calling themselves thugs, and they kill. They're they're a death cult because that's all they're taught through music, film. I mean, we were dressed to hear juice hip-hop i mean we addressed all of this but i know you people are saying well that's a youtuber mo and you're a youtuber too so let's let's go to the real serious people in the field this next set of clips is from tom burrell i don't know if you ever heard of him or not i'm probably sure you have but i'm not sure if you i I think uh yes i think so big ad ad guy ah yes yeah i know exactly you mean of course yeah he is Thomas J. Burrell, the founder and chairman emeritus of Burrell Communications Group, one of the first black-owned and operated advertising firms in the country. Started in 1971 to target the African-American market, Burrell Communications has conducted advertising campaigns for such major brands as Marlboro, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Johnson Products, and Verizon, and helped revolutionize the image of African-Americans in television advertising. He was inducted into the American Advertising Federation Hall of Fame in 2005, and since retiring from Burrell Communications, he has used the information he acquired during his 45 years in the advertising business to address some of the major challenges facing African Americans today. Yes, I remember uh, the agency Burrell McBain. That was the, okay. that was the agency. That was this famous, famous agency. And uh, they were actually a competitor to my company at the time because we were with uh, Omnicom and they sold to uh, uh, Publicis. Yes, a, f- a legend, okay. a legend in advertising. Cleo winner. 
Uh, he, he he won a Cleo thing back in seven in the seven early. Oh 70s yeah, oh he's oh, with, a, he, with a McDonald's spot with a he me, sold Coca-Cola McDonald's. Spot. He sold McDonald's. That's yeah. right. That's right. I remember that. Which makes me look at him side eye. I mean, like uh, <laughs> my my Buleo meter. You know what I'm saying? I got, I got it all fired up. Well, yeah. We're gonna let him talk. I mean, but but when I start to look into the Burrell um advertisement um community excuse me communications. They did an ad for McDonald's recently. It was called The Good Fight. And it said the spot featured a real-life boxing coach and his daughter as he literally puts her through the paces with the message that better does not happen overnight. And it goes on down. It said this uh, It says, as a parallel, McDonald's took their classic chicken nuggets to the next level by taking out artificial flavors, colors, and preservatives. Uh, it says the spot also aired on the 2016 Olympics in Rio amidst the black girl magic. So here we have it. <clears throat> we can't have a black father and a black son going through the paces. I also question him like, okay, for 45 years, you sold these little uh, nuggets with uh, artificial flavoring and coloring in it. So I'm just saying, I'm just, I got to be fair when I, when I look at that, look at these people, but we're going to let him speak. And he has some valid points to make, one being on uh, the false advertisement of race. That's the topic of his new book, Brainwashed, Challenging the Myth of Black Inferiority, which was recently published by Smiley Books. Welcome. Good to be here, Cheryl. Tom, in your book, you try to answer a question that has bedeviled many people before you, which is, why do African Americans continue to lag behind other groups in so many aspects of American life? And your conclusion is an intriguing one, that a 400-year-old marketing campaign to promote white superiority and black inferiority has resulted in a deep-seated, internalized black inferiority complex that is keeping African Americans from achieving many of their goals. This is the brainwashing you're talking about in your book? Yes. Cheryl, America has been sold a bill of goods through false advertising. The myth of black inferiority, the big lie, that there is an inherent uh, inferiority that exists within a race of people. That is something that has been created in order to justify, originally justify slavery within a democracy. And we see it borne out every day from morning till night throughout our media. Media is the major carrier of the message. The media is the messenger. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Hey. Wait a minute. Is he flip flopping now? What's he doing? He's like, hey, by the way, all that stuff oh. I all that stuff I did, that was really bad and someone else did it, I guess. No, he what okay, let me explain to him. Let me let me, let me grab my boule cap back here. Oh <laughs> all right, put, put it on put it on put right. My cap you got here. it on right? Okay. All right. Wow, handsome. Yeah, I got it. Oh, you, you look so powerful. Right. Uh, <laughs> you look so powerful all uh, of a sudden, Mr. Mobile. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what the boule tries to do here is after 45 years of aiding and abetting the system that we spoke about, which uh, let's be honest here, white supremacy, as we define it on the show of uh, the system, mm-hmm. um, after 45 years of supporting, aiding and abetting it, and even uh, what, as, the, as she said in his bio, revolutionizing how blacks are seen in advertisement, 
Now, he didn't say positive, negative, but he just revolutionized it. Um, so, <laughs> it's, it's, it's revolutionizing either way, sure. <laughs> right, right. Either way, she didn't really say. Hold but on, hold what on. They keep, trying keep, to do keep now that, is, Keep that boule hat on. Keep, keep the boule hat on. Yeah, so what I have to do is say this. Um, see, Adam, <laughs> my children are don't suffer from the black inferiority complex you see here. So I want to point out they're different than those common black folks. <laughs> oh, okay. I got it. And so I had to do this sweet little trick here where I won't point back to the history of the television to now I'll jump all the way back to slavery. You see, you see they, he's absolved himself of any responsibility yes. by saying, Oh, it's slavery. It's not, you know, father not being in the home. We're selling you poisonous uh, food like uh, with the bliss, uh, bliss point, <laughs> uh, the sodas, uh, music, television. No, it's not none of that, Adam. So I- I'll take my boule hat off. Take, but take yeah, your, that's what he's trying to do. Take your boule hat off. And I, and I just came up with a, um, well, I, I'm a conspiracy therapist, so I'm analyzing the situation. Right. In 2013... Uh-huh. Uh, Burrell, I think, I don't, Burrell Communications, so no longer Burrell McBain, but Burrell Communications launched Rising Tide, a uh, aspirational social network for millennials uh, sponsored by Tide. And I know a little about Tide. <laughs> I do. Ty Hamilton in, uh, in college, my roommate, he taught me about Tide. So is it uh-huh. possible, though, that to flip the tables and just kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge that he continued uh, with the tide account and created a, um, a covert campaign that featured dumb shit, white kids eating tide pods. Do you think that that could have Hmm. been something he had uh, up his sleeve? I'll have to look into that. It's quite possible, but what <laughs> took me when you said rising tides? Oh yeah, remember no, that's the non-starter. <laughs> I know, isn't it that's beautiful? The non- remember that's the non-starter that you know. <laughs> right but there. this is where this is where they're antiquated. This goes to show you that their mindset is antiquated is not meant for the 21st century. Right. Well, the guy is. But also what they old. have to do is go back and rewrite history, yeah. as we've seen with gunslingers and everything else. Yeah. It's like no, 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 no. It wasn't the Coca-Cola and Marlboros. No, and, of course um, not. All the things that we saw in the black community is slavery. That's the problem. He's, um, which, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So it is a claim. Now, because people say, well, well, Mo, you're pro reparate. That's because it's a legal claim there. What I'm saying is that, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. I don't care how much people get upset. The narrative of slavery is just as dangerous as the act itself because it feeds into self-victimization it bombards us with images of carrying out this whole myth of black inferiority daily hourly by the minute constantly reinforcing it in all these different ways that we we talk about in 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 the book and these are the kinds of subtle images that we're constantly being, being bar- bombarded with. And basically, they've been effective, is what you're saying. They have been. It's the. It is the most effective advertising campaign in the history of this country. The myth, selling the myth of blacks being inferior, and that's 
That's part of the brainwashing. But that's not. But that part is not necessarily coming from the white culture, isn't? Isn't that coming from the black culture? Well, the the, the thing the thing about brainwashing, Cheryl, is that once a principle of brainwashing is that the brain washed becomes the brain washer. Washy becomes the brain washer. Okay. Right. The the hurt hurt the, the the abused become the abuser that is a that is a a natural component of brainwashing mm-hmm. and so in all these areas we at some point in our history have taken on our own victimization we take it over oh man this guy not only <laughs> no, he's still doing this his he still has a full-on agency that is driving change for social justice, inequality, and protecting our green spaces. Uh. Right. But the self-victimization, like yes. you said, it, it, that's it feeds, what does it. That, it feeds itself. Yeah. You just, and you can probably program it with some colors. But isn't that Trigger what it? we call mind control? Yes, MK Ultra. MK Ultra. To- when totally. we say these kind of things. Yeah, it's totally mind when control. We, now, but we have somebody behind the curtain. Tom Burrell was in those rooms making those decisions on what images to show black people, what would resonate with black people. Uh, You know, so he's part of the problem, but I now think with any Boulay member, they get a guilty conscience. They need to rewrite history. They get into that. We all do it when we get old. You know, we want to right our wrongs, but at the same time, he doesn't want to take the responsibility um, for his actions. So they want to jump all the way back, back to slavery. To slavery. slavery is it? Yeah, it's always back to slavery. It's like no, let's start with while while from slavery to the 1950s did we thrive? Well, he wants to under uh, systemic. He, he wants to get away from his his part of it. Obviously, well, it's two things. One, he wants to get away from it, but also two, he doesn't want his children to bear the weight of blackness. You're going to come to find out a lot of people don't want to use. And carry that term black anymore and what comes along with it so you have the boule pulling away from the common black people or the ordinary black people then you have black women pulling away from black men like oh they're the problem they're the ones really killing each other not us let us in the whiteness yeah and when i'm talking i'm not talking about your everyday running the meal uh black women i'm talking about that coven <laughs> that you're know, saying concocted uh yo we want a female vice president that's what we really want that's yeah. that's really going to show the change. That's they want to pull away from blackness. Mm-hmm. That's that, that's the thing, and the rich want to pull away from blackness. And now all you have left is this subset of black men. It's like, oh yeah, let's yeah, let's use them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that kill itself. It still, doesn't matter. Still useful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Well. So. Yeah. It, but it. <laughs> this is. It is so. I'm laughing, it, no, but it's just like you got to no, laugh. You got to laugh. You got to laugh. You got to laugh. But you know. Um, now the so black Twitter. Of course, I get. I got great Twitter. Man, uh-huh. we got to really examine some uh, some black advertising. Because I, I I'm look I I work oh. with this guy's agencies. You know I, I I'm I'll find out what account it was. We had some cross work somewhere. I had a pretty big company mm-hmm. back in the eighties nineties. Um, but now we really, and I feel very responsible for some things, MTV for sure, but we got to look at what some of these, what the, cause you know, you have McDonald's is so much incredibly, uh, you know, imagery but to the brands, Coca-Cola. Yeah. 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 Diabetes. Yeah. 
McDonald's, diabetes, hypertension, Marlboro, lung cancer. I think there was a, a alcohol company, and I'm not mistaken. I don't put that on if I'm not for sure. I'm just saying, but look at all these companies you advertise for. To what? To market to black people that lead to comorbidities, that leave us ripe for when a pandemic comes. <laughs> this, yeah. this is what happens. So the blood is on your hands. I don't, I don't want to put this on you. It is what it is. And then you have the only way you can exist as a black man now <laughs> in America out. is to be afraid of your life. For, be afraid for your life. Check it out. Planned Parenthood. It's one of their clients. <laughs> McDonald's. You're right. Um, what is this? Uh, Seagram's Escapes. Liquor. Uh-huh. Cirrhosis of the, li- cirrhosis of the liver. Mm-hmm. Coca-Cola. Gla- Alcoholism. GlaxoSmithKline. That, that's, the, that's the remedy to the shit you get from the other clients. Exactly. So it's self-feeding. <laughs> <laughs> but here it is. Infinity LGBTQ. X, I'm sorry. Xfinity. Oh, Xfinity LGBTQ is a, um, is a Comcast channel, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Ah, it's so, fascinating. We need to. We, I, this is going to be a, a thirteen-hour show. This is just too good. This stuff. Okay. I, I, I don't mean to drag it out, but let's let's get into um his um his take on studs and sluts. Another area you talk about um, is relationships uh, between black men and women and yes. family re- dynamics. Right. Um, certainly, relationships between black men and women ha- are, are known to have been troubled. Yes. Um, African-Americans certainly have a lower marriage rate than any other group. We have a lack of stable families, which mm-hmm. has a big impact on both mm-hmm. black children and mm-hmm. adults. You say that this is partly the result of popular culture, which promotes black men as brutes and black women as sluts, the studs and sluts campaign. Mm -hmm. So you fast forward 400 years, and this theme seems, the studs and sluts theme seems to be carried out, certainly in the music videos, which are produced and acted in by black people. Yes. Yes. And it's, you know, it's really, uh, I want to believe that it's, it's not a malignant kind of, of intention. I believe that it's insensitive. We have been conditioned to victimize ourselves with the use of the N-word, denigrating misogyny, denigrating our women, uh, killing each other. This is part of the conditioning that nobody wants to talk about. Oh, Mo. Yes. Now I feel. Now I see. Now I see why. <laughs> na- <sighs> yeah. Wusa. Wusa. Yeah. Wusa. 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 And a goat. And a goat. Damn. That, that blew and my Adam, mind. That blew my mind. Adam, one question: Do you know what the number one song in the country is right now, or was? Yeah, uh, maybe of, a, a week ago. I mean, what it was or what it. Wap, you tell me, Mo. <laughs> and, and does that not align with the studs and sluts? Uh, yeah, that is that uh, narrative. Yes, Cardi B for anybody who was uh, not hip like and Megan me. and Megan the Stallion. Yeah, oh, Megan, Megan the Stallion. Some of the oh, vilest, and like I said, goodness. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not easy to make blush. <laughs> but I finally heard it like on the radio. I'm like, oh yeah, the, the, the lyrics. The lyrics. I mean, forget the video. The lyrics are. I mean, yes, that's not just suggestive. And and 
white girls will defend it. And white presidential candidates will go talk to these people. (laughs) Bernie Sanders, you're right. And Joe Biden. You know what the... um, when I, I I called out a couple of my uh, my favorite millennials, white girls, and I said, mm-hmm. "Why is this okay?" There, what they said back to me, fair enough, was, "We've been hearing the same crap from black men for years." Fair point. Don't don't make it right. Don't. No. Of course, two wrongs don't. That and, makes everything right now in in America. But yeah, it doesn't make it right. You're absolutely right. And it, and this is the point of women in society, the point that makes them so important and the value, you know, they make us civil. As we talked about the Wild West, it was like, who had the fastest gun? You know, mm-hmm. if it's, it's there for the taking, we're going to take it. Women keep us civilized in a way. Hopefully. You know, they keep us from that caveman mentality. Hopefully. Uh, because, they, you know, they, they say the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, so... A mother teaches you, hey, don't don't take, right. say, be nice, say right. please, those kind of things. So if you're raised up in a WAP household, yeah, Jesus Christ, without a father, yeah. and do you wonder, and you wonder why? Yeah. But don't take my word for it. Listen to White Mike. Now, in this time, I learned a lot of beautiful things about a lot of beautiful people. I learned a lot of ugly things about myself, and I learned a lot of dark things about the nation in which we live. But I also learned that I, being White Mike, specifically the white part, have a lot of power. White Mike has a question today, and that's this. How come when you turn on the radio in Jacksonville, or New Orleans, or Chicago, or Little Rock, the only people on the radio that talk about how great it is to kill each other are black? How come that exists? 15 stations on a dial, go up, go down. The only people on the radio bragging about getting automatic weapons, gunning each other down, are black. This right here is a song. Uh, My pastoral vocabulary won't let me read the title. Uh, But I will read this. Catch a young black male not paying attention at the red light with your AK-47. Let me see you shoot it. You're a killer, you're a killer, you're a killer. You're a killer, black male. Let me see you prove it. Why does this exist? Yeah, White Mike. I had not so, heard of White Mike. He looks pretty interesting. So this is Mike, Michael, Reverend Michael Smith, and he's from the Ted TEDx uh, Jacksonville. He's a pastor, uh, and he was the white guy in a predominantly black uh, environment. So somehow White Mike is a thing in most black communities. There is a White Mike. I don't know what it is. Huh. I think it stems from the uh, Wayne Brothers show because they had a character oh, called White Mike. Right. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, <laughs> yeah. of course. I, yeah, I remember yeah, that. But I mean, he 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 uh, jokingly refers to himself as White Mike because they were like, uh, it was several Mikes in the church, and he'd be like, "Have you seen Mike?" And they were like, "Who?" And they didn't know his last name. Like White, White Mike. Mike. So it kind of stuck. <laughs> but he brings up valid points. Why is it that this kind of vulgarity? I'm not even gonna go there. This is another show for another day. The vulgarity and the, you know the the sex, sexualization. But the murderer, yeah. In one breath, and then you break up, bring up a great point about um, uh, young white females. How one minute they'll have Black Lives Matter on, you know, all on their uh, TikTok, yeah. And then the next minute they're dancing to uh, "Walk 'Em Down," which is a very popular song now, talking about how one black man walks down on another black man with the chopper. If you don't know a chopper, that's an AK forty-seven. 
It's like, nah, drive-by's not good enough. You got to walk them down. They'll dance to that, <laughs> do choreography to that, but then tell you Black Lives Matter. Are these people sick? I'm, I ask that in all seriousness. Well, it it you know this this of course started. Well, hip hop started nice and kind of uh, you know kind of like friendly, <laughs> and uh, you know it was a hip hop to the hibbit to the hibbit of hip hop. You don't stop rocking you know, that. It was like that, right? And then it just you know I think if I think because MTV. I'm trying to think if we did, uh, didn't real gangster rap. It just seems it was kind of friendly. It was, uh, and late eighty. Well, no, it was friendly at first, jokingly. Will Smith, ha ha, right, ha, right, uh, right. Adidas, those yeah, kind of things. Yeah. And then Public Enemy comes along. PE. And then yeah. the black consciousness starts yeah. to bleed into it, and they're like, "Oh no, oh no, we can't have that. Yeah. <laughs> we can't ha- poison it." Poison the well, and, and and that's exactly what you had, and that's why you heard. Uh, I rung my bell when um, Burrell was talking. He was like, "Well, you know, I don't want to think that it was, you know, done out of intention." He didn't say that. I think, um, I think I forgot the word he used, but basically implying that he didn't want to step on his record industry friend's toes. He knows it was done by design. Isn't it interesting that you can't post something on Twitter? about uh hydroxychloroquine because it might might kill kill you but mm-hmm. you can certainly post uh a snippet from any of these music videos where liter- literally yeah we're, or, we're literally yeah, people saying i'm gonna kill this guy actual killing i'm not but let's just do a one-to-one correlation because the people say oh well that's you know that's not the same false equivalency you could easily put po- your yeah, false equivalency so you could easily post about Drinking lean, which is uh, prescription cough syrup, nobody says anything. But if you talk about hydroxychloroquine, oh, take them down, <laughs> take them down, yeah. take them down now. Yeah. But so, white Mike brings up the question: Is where are the killer whites? I'll take it even further because a lot of time racism exists uh, in what we in, in what's uh, we don't know, what we don't see. Where are the white killers on the radio? Where are the white AK-47 shooters? Where are the white drug dealers? Where are the white people on the radio that brag about what it's like to murder witnesses before trial? The truth is they don't exist. And the question is why? Why don't they exist? Do white people not kill people? Do white people not use AK-47s to shoot each other? I mean, we know, do white people not do drugs? Do they not deal drugs? Of course they do. But why is it that it doesn't make it to our mainstream radio? Why is it that we don't hear it hundreds of times a day in th- uh, hundreds of cities across the nation, thousands of plays that say the idea that a black guy would kill another black guy is something to be celebrated, something to be romanticized? Yeah, true that. True that. And, and just to make one point, I'm, I'm white Mike's on a roll, so I don't want to um, stop him too much. I just want to make one valid point. No, this Eminem is the top, probably selling M, uh, MC right now mm-hmm. over Tupac. He didn't have the thug mentality. No, he he rapped about killing his mom and taking prescription drugs. It's like no, if he if he if he'd have rapped about that, uh, Post Malone, let's just use you know saying who's popular now. Yeah. He doesn't rap about that kind of stuff. No, so right, so right. Pay attention, <laughs> people. Pay attention. Is all right. Thrill seekers. 
And maybe that, maybe it's because there's no white audience for it. Or maybe it's because it's not really marketable. Maybe because it's not, can't get sponsors. I don't know why it is. Uh, or maybe it's because it's just not the white man's role. Or maybe when white people get up and talk about being drug dealers and AK-47 killers, maybe it's even sicker than that. Maybe when white people do it, they're accused of acting black. The truth is, in America, black murder is normal. Black murder is normal. The Damn. idea that a black man or a black woman would be involved in a homicide, either as a perpetrator or a victim, is so common, so broadly accepted that it basically goes unnoticed. The truth of the matter is black families are affected by homicide at rates of 10 times their white counterparts. There will be more death in the form of homicide involving black people this year than any other form of violence that dominates our national conversation. More than school shootings, mall shootings, mass shootings, workplace shootings, lovers' twists uh, lover's twist that turn bl- violent and bloody, even more than in war and in terror no one will lose their life at greater numbers than black Americans involved in violence. You know, black murder in our country is not only common, it's not only frequent, but it's an idea that we celebrate. It's an idea that we say is, is okay. We actually make heroes and, and, out of the notion, heroes out of people uh, that trivialize and romanticize it. Now, every time I show this information, people always say, well, if the number three cause of death for white males, what is the number one cause of death? And without fail, year after year, it's called unintentional injuries, accidents, falling off a four-wheeler, or crashing a, a, you know, a go-kart, or, or you know, a, a bungee jumping without paying attention to you know, <laughs> knots and things like that. And so basically, the American story is white kids are dying because they're clumsy, and black kids are dying because they're gunned down. How old is this uh, clip? Uh, I think this is in 2017, 16, I think somewhere around there. Because uh, I, it's just, TEDx. Just because we're looking at, you know, how media influences our thinking, etc. And it, it, it may mm-hmm. be a little different. I'm not sure. I just want to put a, a little side uh, note uh, that fentanyl and opioid OD, I think, is certainly positioned in the media as a white person's uh, problem. It is, but it's not. No, I, of, I mean, it, of yeah. course, no, of course. Yeah, I'm just saying, but yeah, it is, it is, but it's not. But then they also, just to go, just a side tangent on that. Um, people will say, oh, well, they don't want to prosecute white people. No, they don't want to prosecute the white doctors that come from, you know, upper class. That's what it is. I mean, if it was crank or meth or whatever, they'll lock everybody up. But it's like, if you start talking about locking people up for prescription drugs, a lot of wasps <laughs> are going to jail. So it's like, nah, we don't want to uh, go down that route. But I want to make one point. He pointed out the accidental deaths, the bungee jumping, the mm-hmm. the uh, ATV four-wheelers. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure skateboarding's up there, X Games, you know, behavior. <laughs> That's thrill-seeking behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Young men, you know, pushing the boundaries. Oh, I won't die. I mean, we have this, uh, you know, we have this arrogance when we're young that you can't die. So, you know, you push it to the limit. Mm-hmm. Why is it that young black male can't have the same mentality? It's a game to a lot of them. A lot of these kids are not sociopaths. It's no, a game. It's, ex- it's a aha. You know, like, I, may, I mean, you know, oh, I'm, shall, I, shall I tell you? Uh, just, no, just yes. I'm going to tell you something. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's a bad habit. I, I'll, I'll tell you. It's like I'm trying to kick that. Lots of people have that one. Um, because we've seen more shootings on TV, uh, I know what you're talking about. Because I see these kids, I'll just call them kids. I see these men, yeah. mainly men, and they got, you know, they got the Glock 9 with a huge magazine hanging out of that thing. And then, you know, like pom pom, and they're shooting sideways. I'm like, and a lot of it misses. <laughs> a lot of it is just. 
it's just ridiculous. I, I, I hate to, to say, but it's like cowboys and Indians, but with live ammo. And yeah, yeah it's, is it it's that, LARPing too. It's, it's LARPing. LARPing. It's LARPing, but it is also a thrill seeking. Yeah, it's a it's a very 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 um, unsafe way of uh, of thrill seeking. But yeah, I, but it's, it's, it's part different of it. mechanisms. The mecha- it's different it's all, mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Now you have a uh, one kid that goes down a fifty foot ramp. You know, on a skateboard. <laughs> right, right. And then <laughs> body break his neck or you see, I mean, they have an MTV show that shows clip after clip after clip kids getting their arm broke, teeth knocking out, uh, knocked out. They have entire movies uh, of white kids doing this. Right. So I'm just, what I'm saying is, say it's the same behavior, but the behavior manifests itself in a different way of, let's play this live, act, live action role play game of thugging. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll pop shots your way. You pop shots my way. You know, we, we know, and then, but then it escalates to what we talked about before. It gets on the wire. Mm-hmm. So and so punk. So and so. It gets serious. Yeah. Or you enter, you counter, you you interact yeah. with the super predator or a thug. And, 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 I mean, and, these, and unfor- these things do exist. Yeah. No, of course, but <laughs> unfortunately, uh, you you know, sometimes you'll see that. Some spectator got injured uh, at a, uh, you know, at some kind of skateboarding competition or a, a motorsport event. Uh, but you rarely hear about, you know, the baby in the crib at three in the morning who got killed by the at the skateboarding event. So that's why, of course, it appears different. But I'm going to I'm going to agree with you that for young men. Yeah, it's and that is happens to be their thrill, which we should probably try and stop some of that. Yeah, and it just, it just I, I want to keep going, but you brought this up, so I had to, I, I was debated about talking about it on the show, but I was in another part of Virginia meeting someone, and I walked into a Wawa, and I'm like, okay, I see two young black males, and they were young, I mean, you could tell they were young, pants sagging, tight jeans on, with big ass pistols, <laughs> hey, I mean, not even... Not even uh, concealed, just hanging out. And so I'm like, you know, the talk that my dad had, you know what I'm saying? This is what mm-hmm. I mean. I had to tell the story just for the talk. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, let me keep my eye on these two. You know what I'm saying? Because the shots start to pop off. I need to know where they're coming from and Jeez. I need to know where my nearest exit is. Uh-huh. I mean, this it automatically just goes, you know, you just trigger in. So I'm getting my sandwich from Wawa. <laughs> um, Can I, I'm sorry. I'm not familiar yes. with Wawa. It's like a gas station, which has like a subway built into it, basically. Oh, I mean, okay. Like I, I got yeah. you. So, but, but it's like, as you're going to find in quote unquote black communities, certain convenience stores are the hot spot. Mm-hmm. That's where you hear a lot of crime. Mm-hmm. If I'm waiting to get a drop on somebody, I know they got to come buy beer or blunts or cigarettes. <laughs> so I'll just wait here. God. No, I'm just, I'm, yeah, I'm telling yeah, you no, the psychology you. of it. Yeah, I got you. Um, so I'm sitting here, I'm like, these boys can't be 21. Mm. I mean, baby face with big ass guns. And so I hear a ruckus at the door and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm sliding to the other exit. I'm like, I'm about to roll out without my sandwich. Um, But it was this guy named Nick. I know Nick names now because Nick, he's like, what are y'all doing out here like this? He's like, you know what I'm saying? Would you going to be like your brother? Big black guy, muscular. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? He's like, mm-hmm. y'all out here playing these games. He's counseling these black kids. Football coach works uh-huh. at correctional at the correctional facilities, uh-huh. 
and he and I, I'm like, after they leave, I'm like, man, I'm like, wow, bro, that was the what's up right That's there. That's great. I got Nick's number, so I'm I'm, I'm going to be talking to Nick down the line. You know, oh, but I just want to give excellent. that example. That's cool. Of they don't even care no more. Like the guns were just like out. Like, but it was like wild, wild west. I mean, that's what you know. Like wow, like this is like real wild, wild west. It, it blew my mind. But I'm, I just want to give that you know that uh, anecdote because it's real. It is real out here, and, and, you know. But I mean, I, I digress. But I'm sorry about that. But no, thank you. That's that's, uh, that's <laughs> stories are great. Damn. <laughs> All right. So um, let's get back to uh, on track with number twenty seven. Now, we don't have Mammy Two-Shoes today. You can't get away with it. Nobody, nobody would put it out there. But we do have black people that get on the radio every day in white-owned companies, white-owned stations with white-owned sponsors that play the role of hypersexualized, hypercriminalized male. I asked these advertisers, I say, I've got hundreds of songs a day that celebrate killing animals. Will you put them on your station? They said, no. I've got hundreds of songs a day that talk about assaulting women and, 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 and abusing kids. Would you put them on your station? They said, no. I said, I've got hundreds of songs a day that talk about murdering blacks. Would you put them on your stations? They said, well, that depends. <laughs> depends on what? Who it's done by and who it's branded for. Because if we can get black folks to sing about it and we can brand it for our youngest black audiences, I think there's money to be made. I think there's American appetites to see these people that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how it went. I can't even say nothing <laughs> That's how it went. I, that, I wasn't invited to that meeting. Hmm. So, that's so sick you know that that's so sick i'm sure i'm sure you've you've read the story about uh, a music business insider who claims that all of this was predetermined all the gangster rap all the violence was, was all set in motion by design i'm i'm a believer of that i'm, not a, I'm, in, a, I'm not a one believer. meeting no no but not of course a, not but a series of meetings and people need to, uh, you know nudges that kind of thing well he I just want to say, because it's so hard for people to believe that the media actually is controlled and has a message that is determined, created or determined, it's determined and is and is intended to be sent down the line. And having worked in many you know, big mainstream broadcast organizations, including the one in that was definitely a part of this, do I think that anyone I really knew or interacted with knew about some part of this big plan no but it was hey they want you to do this or that who's they i don't know up the suits up at the office and you become desensitized to it uh you do i mean you just i became desensitized to all kinds of stuff and certainly selling alcohol to a lot of children that was a big part of my job indirectly and we talked about this the higher-ups when we were talking about mm-hmm. COVID, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, do this, put them on the ventilator. Who told you to do this? The, the higher ups, you know, so it's not like everybody that worked at MTV Always, or everybody yeah. Yeah, 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 that worked exactly. at uh, Philip Morrison or these other cigarette companies were complicit. You know, I mean, it's not, it's, it's very just stay. So basically when you build a cartel, it has to be compartmentalized. Yes. Where everybody doesn't know everything. It's like, just do your job and trust the system. Exactly. So trust the system. That's <laughs> true. But it, but it works, but broadcast television works that way. And, and I'm not even saying that people up at the office really had the whole, the whole scoop on it. Lots of influences in the music business, lots of stuff happening. You know, you hear about how sex and drugs and yes, 
blackmail, all that stuff, all of it, all of it happened. Happens. So it's being unve- it's being unveiled now. It's being unveiled because of so much said- media. I mean, now because of YouTube and because of uh, well, because of cameras, camera phones, uh, uh, handheld devices. Now I'm seeing, and you know, you show me a, a, <clears throat> enough street brawls of of uh, of people shooting at each other. I'm like, this mm-hmm. is this is a, bu-, and I'm old enough. This is a bunch of damn kids, and that yeah, they're playing, but it's real. Your point, going back to the start of it, was not necessarily hardcore criminals, not little yummies. It's a bunch of no. dipshits with live ammo. And live that's a ammo, g- generalization. And, and, and low, and low, and no, live ammo and low self esteem is a deadly combination. <laughs> it's a very, very deadly that combination. That is so good. Low, what is it? Live ammo. <laughs> And low, and low self-esteem. Low self-esteem. That's so good. That's like, that's almost, it's better than uh, under-informed and over-socialized. <laughs> it's the white All right, so um, I guess we can wrap up with um, yes. Michael Smith, a.k.a. White Mike, uh, with uh, 28. I said, how can you say that? They said, well, look, it's what these artists know. It's what they, black people, uh, create. It's a matter of fact, our surveys say it's what they want to hear, which speaks of a sickness. How do we live in a society where somebody says, you know what, I'm inspired to write a song that celebrates murdering another person. And then a person says, I'd like to put that on my station. Another person said, I'd like to pay for it. And then there's people out here in the audience that go, I'd love to hear it, as long as it's black guys. Because even white people buy rap music, buy this type of stuff, because we know that when we want to hear about killing each other, we know who to turn to for that type of <laughs> inspiration we call it our music we say we own it white people buy more rap than black people yeah but we're very careful to turn it down at the stoplight when other black people are there why because we know we're just pretending for them it's it's more authentic and real I always ask the companies, what about your name? What about your brand? What about your value? And the largest radio company in the world said this, it's okay that we only have drug dealers on our black youth stations. We only have murders on our black youth stations. We support black charities. We give out water at the Martin Luther King parade. I think we've got it covered. We've bought them off. It never ceases to (laughs) amaze me how you can take what I think I already know about how the world functions, particularly the United States, and blow my mind again by showing me, oh, by the way, this is how big it really is. This is the real system in place. This is not systemic racism. This is a systemic death machine that's just that's just churning all day. And it's too big for us really to see right in front of our face. <laughs> you had to take a huge step back. Really, yes. you got to get on a perch yeah. and like survey it from bird's eye view to see the whole system. It's all uh, a big... To what end, though? It's it's, it's ultimately a control, <laughs> control of all I'm of us, I'm what, sure. Okay. I'll get to, the, to, the, to, to what end. Come on, Mo. What, that, is this, what is this all about? Now that black-on-black crime has become such a hot-button issue, the people that have to have answers for it want to say it's a myth now oh okay there actually is no such thing as black on black black crime that's what's so fascinating to me and i think why people continue to respond negatively to that phrase because it doesn't exist it's a myth right like if you actually look at the statistics all violent crimes the majority of violent crimes in this country statistically happen intraracially right because you actually have to look at what inspires crime and the majority of them happen with people who know one another or in close proximity and in communication in uh, community with one another so this idea that there's something uniquely uh, uh, pathological about black
black people and the way that they commit crimes that is different than the way white people commit crimes is, is flat out inaccurate and racist. Thank you. It's a myth. <laughs> well, it's a myth. And it, yeah. Well, no, it's kind of interesting because on the one hand, of course, it's happening. On the other hand, is it any, you know, it's like saying uh, white guys aren't uh, aren't hurting each other and themselves on skateboards. You know, it, it it's mm-hmm. clearly happening. It's just calling. But and and you just said, well, they're not necessarily criminal. So is this killing a crime? Or is just black on black killing? You know, there's no, a difference. That, I'm I'm, I'm explaining to you how they're you doing their putting this in themselves into a human pretzel <laughs> yeah. to get around this black on black crime issue. They'll say, "Well, black people harm other black people at the same rate." What I mean by rate percentage, you know, so ninety percent of the crimes against black people are done by black people. Well, they'll go to white people and say, "Well, ninety percent of the crimes." Done by ah, white people okay, or done by white you. people proximity. But you. we're not talking about the percentage of who the victim and who the, uh, no, the uh, not at all. Uh, assailant is. We're talking about the volume. Mm-hmm. For us to only be 13% of the population and black men only 6.5%, the volume of black death is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But see, they don't want to talk about that because if you ask that question, you got to ask who's been running Baltimore, Chicago, uh, Louisiana, Miami, all these different places. And then it goes back it's about politics at the end of the day. So now the Democrat, black Democrats and their flunkies have to work themselves off and under this pin down called black on black crime. So it's now it's, oh, there's no, it's a myth. Oh, it's a myth. They, they, they so kill they themselves. Got, okay. All right. I got you. Because that's why they don't want black men talking about it. Because when we talk about it, we're going to say, well, who's been in control for the last few, you know what I'm saying, decades. Mm-hmm. How did it get to this? No, it's like, no, 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 it's a myth. It's a myth. And that's why they want to uh, uh, pivot to cops. It's like, oh, the cops, the cops are bad. We don't talk. want to talk about black on black crime uh, anymore. It's a myth. And she's not the only, well, that was from HLN. I was just going to say, who, who was one. that? Who was that on HLN? I don't know her name. She was a black, okay. black, right. a lot of minor activist, but I didn't, okay. they didn't show her name. And I, I looked it up, but couldn't find it. But not only her, we have D.L. Hughley saying the same thing. Every crime committed in the United States of America is two to one, black to white, white to black. They actually is more white on white crime than black on black crime. But when you call it black on black crime, that gives them marching orders. That right. gives them a call to arms. Mm-hmm. So now they can come and brutalize like, because there's a sense of urgency. You'll hear black people saying, oh, black on black crime. That doesn't exist. If, if it exists, there has to be Asian on Asian crime yeah. or Latin on Latin crime. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The crime is about proximity. Mm-hmm. You hurt the ones you love because you're close to them. Mm-hmm. If you take any any living organism and you put it in a small sp- uh, space with limited resources, it will kill anything around it. Yeah. Black on black crime is nothing but th- th- it's biology. Mm-hmm. That shit is happening on your lawn right now with the weeds in the grass mm-hmm. fighting for resources. Mm-hmm. But you believe that you're inferior because they tell you it's a such thing as black on black crime. See, you see the trick they're playing? I guess who DL Hughley works for? A major radio company. I'm sure mm-hmm. that they peddle and in in black sm- uh, smut music, <laughs> smut music. <laughs> I mean, snuff, I mean, excuse me, snuff music, snuff. Oh, snuff, snuff music. music. Yes. What, excuse me. Yes. Well, snuff. it could be smut too. It depends no, on like, like, who's like, the singer. But I, I mean, like snuff. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, it's black snuff music. I mean, and he won't call it out because then he has to call out his sponsors and the record labels and all that. So now, and, and then the politicians like, where are y'all at when it's going on? 
So now it's like, oh, it doesn't exist. No, cause I want to break down the math right quick. He says one out of two out of every three crimes, or you know, two, two to one, is black. I mean, white to black. So every for every three crimes, two two are done by white people. Done one one are done by black people. We're only thirteen percent of the population. I mean, I, I mean, I know a little bit about math to tell you that's way out of proportion. <laughs> Calling it snuff songs. Is a very good is a very good idea. If you say snuff film, people freak the fuck out. That's a snuff snuff flip snuff lick snuff film. If you say it's a snuff yeah. song, you say what what the hell is that? Well, what do you think of when snuff flick? <laughs> well, that's really ho- yes. This is that's snuff songs. Go listen turn listen to the, listen to it listen to it. I I just wanted to say we need to use that or something like it. Snuff <laughs> is a great word. Yeah. it it triggers people. It could be useful. I'll, I'll make a I'll make a note of that because that's exactly what it is. That's what comes to mind. Like I said, that's what comes to mind when I hear it. Now, I'm not, not saying that I don't enjoy rap music, but I have a mature enough mind, and I had a two parent household that wouldn't tolerate it. So obviously, they told me something's not right about it. But you know what? It's still enjoyable. But it was still the balance there to say. Hey, there's something not a bright about it because I got to listen to my Walkman and not in the car with my mom and dad. Right. You know, I mean, there's that, that, that balance there. Why now, can't not, you like, why I, can't you like Lionel Richie? He's such a nice young man. <laughs> Did I nail yeah, but it, <laughs> <laughs> Lionel Richie. But yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. Um, and I know I've been building up to this. And we're going to get to what the root of the problem is. But first, we got to continue to thank more value for value uh, producers. I understand that there's some people out there who need my services. Yes, Lord. Are there any people out there who are weak? Yes. Any people out there who are weary? Yes. Any people out there who are tired? Yes. Any people out there who just need a heal? Yes. Y'all got cash. Yes. Well, then come on down. All right, time to thank the rest of our producers for episode number 48 of Mo Facts with Adam Curry. <laughs> uh, we, all, we always love uh, the Crooked Reverend kicking off a donation segment. Uh, and again, we're going to uh, read out some of your notes and names here. And this is, well, I'll explain value for value in case you haven't at the end of the segment. Rudolph Dolph is next. Duff, I'm sorry, 4825. And he says, guys, excellent show as always. I've been looking for a show that honestly discusses race-related issues. The added value that having two different races speaking about the subject is amazing. I live in the Northern Virginia area. Hope you hope there's a meet up there soon. Please deduce me. Well, we don't deduce. We de deadbeat. Congratulations! You're no longer a deadbeat. <laughs> Thank you for supporting us, Rudolph. Uh, Mrs. King's Art Camp, forty-eight twenty-five. Am I missing something on the 4825s, Mo? No, I, I'm, I was wondering, maybe a show 48? Show 48? I'm not sure. Well, I, I, I think these 48s and 4825s should be, uh, they should be show numbers for sure. Mo Facts is the best podcast out there. Thank you for your wisdom in these uncertain times. Keep up the great work, says Ellen King. Dorothy Schrote, 
$48, making my way through old episodes while waiting for the new. Looking forward to 48. Here you are. And I guess that is a show uh, episode donation. No note from Nicholas Ray, but uh, $45 from Nicholas. Thank you. Betty Solero, $40. Thanks, Mo and Adam. She says, I sent 40 via PayPal. Please know, I wish I could add another zero on that donation to truly represent the value I have found in your podcast. Let me just say, before I read on, Value for value is exactly what you're talking about. That's the forty dollars is clearly huge value for you. That's good for us. That is exactly what it is. No more is necessary. Thank you. That is that is how it works, and that's what makes it so fair and great. The last Killer Wasp uh, podcast episode, ultimately the most frightening. Malcolm X would have been proud to hear the discussion the black man was having with the white man. Almost forgot. Mo Karma, please. <laughs> You've got Mo Karma. That's very meaningful. Thank you, uh, Betty. That's very nice of you to say that. Connor Lawrence, 3535, love and light gents. <laughs> Hope you're all doing well. Mo, how is the new human slash canine resource? Mo? Oh, Morocco's doing great. He's doing Mo- great. Wait, Morocco? Yes, I thought his name was Rocco. It's Morocco. It, it's yeah. It's short for it's short for. We call him Rocco, but his his actual name on his paperwork is Morocco. Okay. No. Oh, yes. Paperwork. Very nice. Also, <laughs> Mo, what's your thoughts on the new round of NBA protests? Is that something for a whole show by itself? Maybe. Uh, what do you mean by protest? You mean the Not playing the players? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Not playing yeah. and then playing when, when they're told to play. That I mean, that was a sucker move. If you're gonna, if you're not gonna play, don't play. Right. I mean, they just they they embarrass themselves. I think. I agree. Um, I think they but, hurt. I think they hurt the whole game. That's the short answer. That's the short answer. Yeah. Uh, Connor goes on. Adam, happy freaking birthday, good sir. Thank you. Might I request some Mo Karma for you on your birthday? <laughs> Is this does Mo Karma speak now? Birthday, as I pray and wish this year is a great one for you, my friend. Thank you, and if possible, can I get a little goat hoosa for myself and Alyssa or Lisa? Keep up the fabulous work, guys. I'm truly blessed to hear your work, and I can't wait to hear where the rabbit hole is taken. Mo, be well and be with God, with love and reverence, your friend Connor. Thank you so much, buddy. <laughs> You've got Mo Karma. Chuck Barnett, 3333, thank you both for the outstanding content and enlightenment. Can't tell how many times I've hit the rewind bit button after, wait, a wait, what moment? While listening to episodes 44 and 45, puzzled together, many disjointed thoughts for me, I had finally, I finally had to donate. Like Adam, I am a 1964 borderline boomer music business dad with two ex-wives and a happy third. Crap, man, are you living my shadow life? Between a dozen years of no agenda, he's a monthly subscriber, thank you, and now MoFax, I can say my life and amygdala are pretty balanced. Mo Karma for everybody. Chuck B, man, thank you so much. That is a great note. I appreciate it. And I identify with it. You've got Mo Karma. Uh, Jacob Harvey, 3333, thank you both for this conversation. I don't hear it from anyone else. No, I don't think you do. Uh, we have Katie who also sent us 3333 dear Mo and Adam, uh, six months ago, I was one of the underinformed, over-socialized millennials that Adam often refers to. In all honesty, I probably still am, but this show is, no, 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 I don't think so. This show has helped me to begin (laughs) opening my eyes and thinking for myself. 
I just finished cat- catching up on every single episode, and I can't thank you enough for what you do each week. Also, shout out to my mentor, Eric, for introducing me to the show. Can we get some Mo Karma for a productive and successful semester? Yes, absolutely. And uh, let us know who this Eric is. Eric is tr- is doing some work. So we like He's that. Def- definitely doing the work. We definitely lo- doing the work. We love hearing that. Thank you very much and appreciate the support. You've got Mo Karma. Chef Elvis up next. Elvis Rosenberg, 3333. No note, but not needed. We know all about you, Chef. Thank you. Jonathan Ashcraft, 3330. Killer Wasps, GBG. Your shows have been very illuminating. Thank you. I am no longer a DB. Well, in that case... Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. (laughs) I love those. (laughs) Matthew Zeiser, $25. Mo and Adam, great show. Thank you for the work. Keep it up. More to come. Karma for all. (laughs) You've got... Mocom. $25 from Pascal, Pascal Sely or Sely. Matt Baja, $25. You are doing the Lord's work, Mo. You and Dan Carlin are the only factual informational podcast out there. Oh, no, it's quite a compliment. Bob Klein, $25. My brothers, Mo and Adam, I so very much appreciate what you do. I wish I could give more. Thanks for the vaccine episode. You guys and RFK Jr. keep my head together. We do have a chance against the imposed cultural degradation. Peace, says Bob. Uh, Sakisha Flood, $25. Thank you. Clinton, 23 Good call on crackers versus mayonnaise. What? <laughs> Is there something I missed about crackers and mayonnaise? I, I think he's talking about the racial racial civil war. I, I, I'm oh, guessing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> crackers versus mayonnaise. Good call indeed. <laughs> I said that to Rogan, too. That's how I started my, my buddy Mo. He says this is a white white guy civil war. He's stepping back. I said, okay. <laughs> nice. <coughs> it was the crackers versus mayonnaise war. Pierce, LLC. Take that now, 2222. Thank you. Paul E. Lovato. Blessings to all. $20.02. A nice uh, palindrome. Michael Silk, $20. Paul Rothwell, $20. Hey, Mo and Adam would love to hear Mo's take on This Is America by Childish Gambino. Keep up the great work. Wow, it kind of does fit in the, in this episode. That video was uh, was uh, well, it was intended Dramatic? to. And, uh, <laughs> 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 Thanks, Obama. Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> traumatic, very traumatic. I guess that's enough said, right? Yes, that's, that's plenty. Mo and I sometimes just send a link and and the letters TBE. That's all we need to say. <laughs> Trauma based entertainment. Shirley Fife. $20, many thanks for doing the work. Enjoy the show. Lots of insights and new perspectives. America is like an alien planet from my home in Northern Ireland and completely fascinating. Sadly, it has started to resemble the Hunger Games lately, and I worry for you all. Peace and love. Shirley, uh, we'll be okay. Uh, America's gone through a lot of crazy stuff. Um, I will say I'm quite impressed by what I saw in Ireland uh, with of the uh, the lockdown protests. So we, there is something we can learn from y'all, and that is, uh, and I appreciate the note and the support. Michael Myers, $20. Bobby Flush, $20. Says, thanks for the education. And then, uh, um, let me see, what do we have here? Jeffrey Lunt, 1776 is his donation. Message received. I could use a D-dead beating. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat also wondering if this will alleviate me of any white guilt well no of course not <laughs> the show will help you do that 
and you will have a white vigor of things that can be done. Thanks for all the information you provide. I wish I could donate more. No, you're doing exactly what you can, and we appreciate it. Sasha Wright, $15. Keep up the good work. Y'all are putting out great content. Thank you for all you do. God bless. Invaluable. This podcast is something all people should listen to. Listen to. Thank you, Mo, for reaching out to Adam, and thank you, Adam, for bringing it into my family's life. It's not much, but here's some new money. <laughs> <laughs> Mo, keep casting new money. We love new money. Mo, keep <laughs> casting light on the lies that try to keep all Americans from coming together. Sir Psychomico. Psychomico. Nice note. Thank you very much. It's really, really kind of you. Um now did I combine two there accidentally? I did I did Sir Simico and I did uh, Sasha Wright in the same. I'm not sure. It's confusing. Yes, she wound up with God bless. Okay. Ten dollars thirty-three cents from Patrick Stasiak in Saginaw, Michigan. Brian Quante, ten dollars top notch. She says thank you. John Cornforth, ten. Scott Webb, ten. You and No Agenda are melting my brain. Good. That's the intent. Keep up the good work, says Baron Turner. And we have $10 from Cyrus Esau, William Hawthorne, $5, Andrew Caver, $5, Terry Keller, $4.11, uh, actually twice, so eight twenty two. And winding up the uh, road there is Robert O'Donnell. Great job again, $2.50. Thank you all so much for the value you have provided us here, especially because uh, you waited so extra long for this show, and I, I think uh, a delivery has been made. Uh, and we're not even done yet. Uh, this is the, usually after this segment is when my head blows off my shoulder. So um, I'm ready for that. This is yeah. Our- go and put down the tarp. <laughs> <laughs> this is a value for value production, um, and the value we get from you is not just the donations. It's the it's the notes. Um, and these are very important to us, very dear, and we love sharing them. Um, keep them as as short as you can. But when they're personal, it's just, it's very nice to share and it's appreciated. Please consider us for the next uh, episode. Support us by going to mofax.com or directly to our donation page, mofundme.com, M-O-E-F-U-N-D-M-E.com. And uh, thank you again for supporting episode 48. Well, this is the portion of the show that we get to discuss the gender war that's going going on amongst amongst so-called black people. Okay. And to set that up, we have to go back to uh show 38. It's a throwback clip. And this is from the Washington Post, and this is the black women from Black Ink. Let me make that clear. Uh telling body you need black women voters. Vice President Biden, you, you need, need us. You owe oh, us. I remember Black women are miracle workers. We have been saving the Democratic Party since 1965. 2020 is no different. Your only path to victory is through black women. The voters you need to turn out, we know how to mobilize them. Our votes must not be taken for granted. The following commitments will begin to show black voters that you are serious about us. America needs a black woman vice president. Candidates like Amy Klobuchar will not energize us. America needs a black woman Supreme Court justice. Remember Anita Hill? We do. America needs more in a comprehensive black agenda. The rules are rigged against our communities. Wow, who put that together? 
This is the Washington Post, and it had uh, oh that yes I remember the who's now. who. Yeah. It was the yeah uh, Angela Rye, the lady from Black Black Votes Matter. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of a lot of Boule, a lot of the the Black Witch Coven yeah, uh, the, in Hollywood, the Boule Broadcasting uh, Corporation. Yeah. So what, the reason why I had to set this up using this clip is they gained so much clout and leverage from the black dead body of George Floyd. Yeah. Every minute that that cop's knee stayed on George Floyd's neck, their value and leveraging went up. And this is the grand axe they used from that leverage. Not criminal justice, not, you know, killing black men, none of that. We want a female black president, I mean, a vice president. Well, you know what? It's a Freudian slip. But it might be accurate considering yes. Joe Biden's uh, condition. <laughs> I think that's why I keep I keep I keep wanting to say it. I think you know the truth wants to come out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, uh, black female uh, Supreme Court justice is black female. There's black female that stuff. Now you're using the leverage of a dead black man on the street, caught on film, being um, uh, brutally murdered. Allegedly, I mean, or, you know, I mean, I know for legal reasons, we had to, you know, say, say things in a certain way. But every, like I said, every minute that knee stayed on that neck, their value went up. And they're like, we're going to capitalize on this and go for the big ask. And that's what they, that's what they came up with. Nothing contributing to the plight of black men, nothing contributing to the environments that cause um, the, what we've laid out as black on black crime. No, nah, we want a vice female vice uh, black female vice president. That's what we want. Not even a black pre- vice president. They didn't even go there. They were just like, we want a female. Yeah. So what this what you're seeing is black women are becoming their own demographic, separate from black men and power base and power base. But only one. They made one tidy miscalculation. Their understanding of math, and it's the same one that's used on black on black crime. What do they say? Hey, we vote 90, 90, 95% of the uh, voting uh, black women vote democratically. Yeah, but you don't have the volume. (laughs) You need the black male vote, the volume of votes to make action happen. And black men are saying, no, 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 no. We're tired of being used. This is what you're witnessing right now. And I found an interesting clip from Dr. T. Hassan Johnson. This is another uh, brother on YouTube, uh, but he's a, a professor, uh, very informative. And he coins this term. I've never heard it before. I looked all over. I never heard anybody else uh, use it. So if you hear anybody else use it, we got to give this brother credit for it. And it's called the CocuSurf. So as you can see today, we're talking about the reality of black men's disposable role as CompuSurfs. I've covered this in another show. The whole concept of CompuSurfs is a, is a bringing together of two basic ideas, the concubine and the surf. And this in many ways has to do with the social expectation of black men, both in the larger society, but more particularly within black America. The idea that black men are not only disposable, but their roles are to serve as sexual concubines as well as serfs. Right. Who are really just designed to serve, you lift, bear that tote, so on and so forth. 
the disposability, right? So the idea of the CompuServe and, and how our lives and our deaths can be taken for, taken for granted. We don't talk as much about our lives because there's all kinds of contestation, contestation and shaming that goes on. We talk about what black men experience in their own community, right? But even, but it's clearly evident in our deaths how we're perceived and how our deaths are often used for everybody's advancement but black men themselves. And one of the biggest indicators of that is how much policy has been developed in the last few decades to stem the tide of those deaths, right? Very little. And yet and still, the social expectations play on. Wow. No, I, I have not heard CompuServe. Now, if you had to define CompuServe, how, how would you now define that? Okay, so black men have two purposes for these class of people. Either we're used for sexual purposes. That's why, you know, uh, you know, you know, this uh, stereotype, whether it's true or not. And then uh, basically. Slaves. Do this, fix this, uh, shut up, don't make any noise. Uh, basically, the underclass. We're the we're the, we're the floor of the floor. <laughs> I'm, I, no. I, I say that yeah, yeah. in all seriousness. And these black ink women, you hope to use. Like I said, the, the only value uh, George Floyd could bring into this world is dying. That's it. Yeah. Where does the conq come from? concubine from concubine yeah and then surf yeah no, from yeah, surf, surf yeah, S- yeah, S- yeah. s-e-r-f yes i got it yes so when he coined this term this is what turned my whole show but just so people know just <laughs> had, i'm sorry i just i, I just to... want people to understand because not everyone knows concubine i just want to give you the okay dictionary. concubine is like a go, go ahead please well it, it's a a woman who lives with a man but has lower status than his wife or wives so that goes to the point that we're not good enough to be husbands. Yeah. But to be flaunted as sex. And there's this weird parallel between the white woman and the black man. We're kind of in the same position in our respective races. Because I told you, we live in a matriarchy. Mm-hmm. White society is a patriarchy. Black society is a matriarchy. So black men are expected to behave the same way as in oh and and i'm I'm generalizing here a lot but the same docile be quiet the same way white women are expected to be Mm -hmm. or portrayed to be you know like the you know you know uh they say white women you know they're very submissive and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. black men are expected to be that counterpart on the black side so that's where the concuserve comes from got it got it wow so That's, when I heard this clip, it illustrated and encapsulated everything I wanted to say. And I was like, you know what? I had the show done. I had the show written when I called you. Yeah. I was like, ready to roll. And then I heard this and I was like, nope. <laughs> Got to tear it all the way down <laughs> and, and build it Left back. Left hand turn. Yeah. It's far more important to have this. And I, I know people are saying, well, Mo, that's kind of far-fetched. What are you saying? Uh, what I'm saying is black men are used for sacrifice for other demographics to progress into whiteness. Black men are used for sacrifice for other demographics to what? Progress into whiteness. 
So these group of women, they're trying to get into whiteness. So it's like, yeah, we'll use <laughs> the same way Democrats used to use black people. It's just a, it's just internally now. Wow. You know, they're welfare queens. They're blah, blah, blah. They're this, they're that. They're illiterate. You know, poor, poor black people, poor black people, white, white Demo- Democrats used to do that. But now it's black women of black ink. Let me be clear, because there's a lot of sisters out here. They're allies. So I'm, and, and I want to point out, I, and if you look at our donation list, I think a lot of women get it. Yes. Because we have a very balanced mm-hmm. uh, support. Yes, I agree. So I want to make that clear. But what I'm saying is, it's very beneficial. Now it's like, you hear him say, oh, we're the most educated demographic there is. Notice they separate themselves out. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's black men killing black men and black men are the white men, white, black men are the white people of black people. You hear these terms thrown out. All we need, and now, that's what is, yeah, all we need <laughs> is to hear, well, you've never seen black women kill black women, do you? That is coming. <sighs> it's coming. Uh, so I have Reverend Ian White Marr, and he speaks on the ritual sacrifice, Black Heritage Trail of NH. So this lecture focuses on the ritual sacrifice of black men in particular as an instrument for creating a cohesive and unified body of people called white. So in this development of the screen of racial contempt uh, that I'm calling the first stage of sacrifice, while it certainly includes the murder of African Americans, it it was the murder of their humanity in the eyes of European Americans that was sacrificed in the development of white identity. More than just debasement, it was the symbolic murder of their identities offered up in order to engender another identity. So Rene Girard uh, writes, the purpose of sacrifice is to restore the harmony to community, to reinforce the social fabric, and that the common denominator that exists between, behind all sacrifice is internal violence. And the dissensions, the rivalries, the jealousies, and the quarrels of the community by design are suppressed by sacrifice. Damn. <laughs> so what they're saying is if enough black men are put on the altar to sacrifice, they're not just talking about physically murder, but the image you know, the the stereotypes, all of that, if enough is put up there, it will bring harmony because then they can say, oh, well, that's not us. We're not like them. Right. You know, and as they progress into whiteness, what we've described whiteness to be is nothing but what the wasp set as the model for how the world should operate, a.k.a. white supremacy, yes. a.k.a. Western Western society. Gerard isolates three distinct bodies within the community, the model, the rival, and the ritual victim. And he sees within the community a driving function of competition and the potential for violence. So the model, in our case, the plantation elite or elite whites, are in possession of an object. They're in possession of something. In the political realm, we might think of this solely as capital, but if we think of it more broadly, they're really in possession of something called white, Mm -hmm. which stands for all sorts of things, concepts of election, purity, goodness, and providence. And I was uh, doing research in the Widener Library at Harvard, and they they had this book... um, and it had something like the 23 races of English people, which, which sounds 
surprising, right? But not really, right? It all feeds into that chain moving towards the elite model. The person uh, who is holding the desirable quality at the top. Now, elites are able to generate allegiance uh, and they are able to generate disciples by making whiteness a desirable quality. Oh. Hey. <laughs> so, do you think that, uh, that there, there must be black women who are thinking, hold on a second. What's going on here? How come we're leaving all those men behind? Yes, it is. But then you know what they're told? Shut up. (laughs) No, sister. How dare can't you not support your other sisters? Uh. And let's use Kamala Harris as a as a as a a case study. Mm -hmm. How does how does she make her bones? Locking up black people, throwing black throwing black men in jail. We heard on the last show or a couple shows ago, she locked up an innocent black man. Had no evidence against them. Mm-hmm. And it goes to show you, look, look at me. Pick me. I, I can I can I can do it just as good as a white man can do. Mm-hmm. Or what's perceived missing the actions of a white man. I mean, just saying by the standard of society. Right, but but, uh, but, and that, but she you know, Okay, yeah. well, first of all, Kamala is a, is yeah, she identifies as black, doesn't quite have the same history as a DOS woman. Mm-hmm. So are they just are they just have they just been hypnotized? Mind no, it's the pre- and I told you in the very first show is ego. It's just so hard to believe. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah, it's not really. If you we talked about how Black Lives Matter founders have daddy issues. Yeah, a yeah, lot of yeah, these women, yeah, Kamala yeah. Harris has daddy issues. Yeah. as it's playing out in the media. Yeah, so I'm not saying that they're just they're just. Uh, latching onto this, I mean, it's dryly. They have, they, I mean, they, they have, have the issue same, with men. They have the same issues because of the same problems. Only their issues manifest differently. Exactly. Okay. And what it manifests is, you know what? I can use black bodies to get ahead. A, a, to get ahead, they do, they're doing the exact same thing the founding fathers did when they created America. It wasn't that personal. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Don't take we got it all these natural resources, all this land. <laughs> Don't take we need somebody to work it, yeah. you know. Um, uh, and then they're, then they're saying it's the same thing. Well, we have all these black criminals. <laughs> we might as well put them to good use. Let's let's get with the media. Run it on the run it on the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, make black men violent. Make black men uh, the source and the bane of all all the things that trouble us. Put them on the sacrificial altar. Slay them, and then we can have harmony. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. I hear you. I hear you. Okay. So, all right. Uh, where we? Where, where do we it, stop? It can only, it can uh, only go sacrifice. downhill from here. <laughs> we we uh, striving for whiteness. Started, okay. We yeah, did striving for whiteness. Okay. Uh, replacing the model was created as a belief system on the desire of an object embodied by the plantation elites or by the elites in general. And by model, it meant uh, being closer to God. The rival, uh, the second group that Girard speaks of, are the uh, European-American masses, uh, who try to possess this whiteness as an act of mimicry by desiring what the model desires, what the elites have. Because 
so much as I want it, they have power. Me wanting it gives them stature. Mm. Us Magazine, People Magazine, uh, cultivate the culture of celebrity because it gives the system more power. Same with the Oscars. Same with all that. Gerard warns us uh, that the desires of the rival, the second group, or the masses, will grow. The desire will grow until there is violence induced by that competition that's there. The nature of the system is that it, it wants us to desire, but it doesn't want us to go too far because if we want it too much, eventually... We will try to knock over, we will try to kill the model so that we can replace the model. Ooh. There's, there's your riots. Yes, there it is. <laughs> there it is. We're, we're, that's the, well, we're past that phase, really. That phase yeah, no, I'm is just saying, but that's gone. where we're at. Yeah. That's, that's where we're at. And you, who do you have out in those groups? You have the feminists, you have the, you know, the Marxists, you have the, uh, every other ethnic group, and they're all protesting on what? The back of the sacrificial black men. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it, yeah. But they want to replace the model. It's not that we want to create our own and you know create our own black community or own whatever fill in the blank community. It's that we want to be accepted and raised to the level of the model, mm-hmm. which is Anglo. You're saying white Anglo-Saxon, yeah. Protestant, elite, right? And the sick thing is, whiteness is their god. Ugh. Yeah, well, the, yeah. I'm, com- I mean, I'm kind of speechless. That's what you're hearing is me just. Uh, I just don't know what to say. Cause, yes, I, I, I was the same way. I mean, I had to process it because yeah. it's like because at the end of the day, if you can identify as a woman first, as a gay first, as a trans first, oh snap! That that <laughs> just hit hard. One of the most successful black men in show business is RuPaul. Right, but they'll tell you I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm a gay black man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, uh, I know. I know. Uh, what's that? Porter. Porter. He'll tell you that. Billy Porter. Billy Porter. He'll tell you that. I'm a I'm a gay, but they'll put that first. Gay first, black, and then man. Yeah. So we already know it's an attack on men, but I'm just saying that it's well, not well, that well, there's saying- out of disdain for the model. It's that I want to emulate the model. Yes, and to to emulate it, I have to show you how well I can do what the model does, how well I can play inside the system. Mm-hmm. That's why you see here the Sorrel Sisters. I coined that term to you a long time ago. Yep. The reason why I say that is these women want to illustrate to the powers that be, I can do the job just as good or even better mm. than a white DA. I I think I even heard Dvorak use the term Sor. See, I think he said Soro Sister. <laughs> But he yes, with er. I did hear it. I did hear it. <laughs> Good work. But that's that's what they're doing. Yeah. And then how, what, what do they have to do from there? They have to pick a victim. So the system doesn't want us to go too far. So it needs to find a way to blow off steam through the process. They don't want to get rid of that intra community violence, but they just want to deflect it before it reaches the doors of the elites. So to deflect the violence that ultimately arises out of the competition, there needs to be a ritual victim, which is the third group. 
someone who is marginal within the community, who does not represent a real threat of reprisal, who can't attack the system back. The dangers uh, in this society are projected onto that victim. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> now, who, 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 who was the guy's name again? Gerard? What was his first Re- name? Gerard. That's how I say uh historian that he's referring to i can get you his name after the show but this the speaker is reverend ian ian white mar okay yeah, but it's amazing these we have heard two men of the cloth white men in the cloth illustrating the black problem clearer than the, the people that are supposed to be speaking for us yeah exactly. how does that happen yeah <laughs> well yeah how does that happen? Yeah. It happens by design is how, how it happens. Yes. I mean, that's the punchline. Yeah. And I know people are saying, wow, Mo, that sounds crazy. What are you saying? So I'm saying, uh, one, in the exoteric, uh, you know, politically, they're sacrificing black men, the image of black men. Uh, they say trans men, trans women are the, vic- uh, are the victim of black men. Yes. Black women are the victim of black men. Black children are the victim of black men. Black men are the vet victim of black men. And the only way you can survive in this is if you are two hundred uh, six foot eight, two hundred sixty pound black man like LeBron James, saying you're running around the street scared for your life. That's the only way you can function in this society. Well, I, I think you're doing pretty well as a podcaster. <laughs> But I understand but it gets what you're deeper saying. than that. Yeah, it gets deeper than that oh, because no. you're going to hurt. Me with, you're going to hurt me with something now, aren't you? This is always the end. Yeah. All right, tarp is ready. So right. I I have a, a a podcast that features uh, Minister Brat, aka Bad News, and he speaks about the witchcraft and gangbanging. I was dating a young lady in my neighborhood, and um, I come to find out that she used to have. Um, her grandmother, she stayed with her grandmother, people in caskets on the wall. And I would say, what's all these people in these caskets? And they say they just family members. One time her grandmother came home and uh, they started putting up black sheets on the wall over the glass and over the, the window. I said, what they doing? They say they're going to have a seance, yet I want to stay. I said, no, I don't do seances. But but I come to understand why my neighborhood was so cold. Mm. As I look back, my so physically cold. You feel physically like. cold, right? Remember, I used. Remember, you say I used to. I feel death. Death was right. Ra- it was a spirit of death in this neighborhood. And now I know why the grandmothers was witches. Mm. The grandmothers was doing seances. As I look back and do the inventory, why? Well, I understand now why the grandmothers say you better go kill them boys. You better go get them. The grandmother, the grandmother, the grandmother was yeah. You somebody get killed, y'all better go kill them. Y'all better. To go get them. Now, what type of witchcraft were they involved in? Well, or, or, well I, I just know seances. Seances. They were okay. doing seances. These are grandmothers that we wave to, walk across the street, go to run to the store for doing seances. Now, would some of them go to church? Some, all of them, all of them went to church. <laughs> well, this is this is very disturbing. And then you wonder why you hear cases of a woman lose three, four sons to gun violence. We really have to investigate those cases. Mm-hmm. There, there's a there's a spiritual thing going on, a, a spiritual component of this, and I illustrated it way back in show twenty six 
with a growing number of black women leaving the church for witchcraft. Growing numbers of African-American women in Maryland and across the nation are leaving traditional church worship. All of them are in search of something else, a spiritual belief that connects them to their ancestors and where they can feel more empowered to control their own well-being. They have found it in ancient forms of spiritual contact. Some call it witchcraft, a term they accept and embrace. Most of us, this is how we worship, a tradition that predates us all. This too is an ancient art of worshiping, not to God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but to spirits and deities that span the oceans and date back to pre-slavery days in Africa. Are you in fact witches? I'm whatever the situation calls for. (laughs) So if you come to me with pleasantries. You being respectful, you'll get Glenda, the good witch of the suburbs. But if you come at me with negativity and meanness and disrespect, then you'll get Eveline, your worst nightmare. Oh, yeah. This was <laughs> I was uh, episode 26 for anybody who wants to uh, get freaked out all over again. And, how and then I, I had an epiphany. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'll then, give you my epiphany afterwards. Well, do you remember how old she was? The woman speaking at the end. She sounds so oh, young. Oh, these women. These women are in their late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, they're millennials, right? Yeah. And, and and they picked it up when they left the church, went off to college, and learned in these universities. Yeah. At the well, eight, my epiphany eight, was this. Yes. And people that know anything about hip hop will know this. Those same closets and basements that these women were doing seances in that uh, uh, Minister Bratt referred to Mm -hmm. are the same closets and basements that their grandchildren record hip hop music in. It's, oh, it's, it's spells. 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 I'm saying, but those same spirits might be dwelling in those same spaces because I know. When we used to record, you had to had to do the basement, or you had to do like a, you know, like a, a, a old closet or something. Oh, do we do theremin? Do we, <laughs> not really. It's kind of, <laughs> go ahead. It's, I'll call me, I'll, I'm gonna need a theremin for this next uh, this next sketch. Oh, okay, well, we're winding <laughs> it up here, people. I like that theory, Mo. I like that theory. That's a good one. Okay, what do we what do we got now? There's only one way to introduce this next guest and people have been asking about him. And this is his first introduction to the MoFax podcast with Adam Curry, uh, Bishop Larry Gators. I am uh, a type of a man that's been called by God to fully decapitate the system of the left. And what I want to talk to you about today, uh, Brother Alex, and to your listeners all over the world, is this topic entitled The Coming Destruction of Black Lives Matter. Now, the three founders, um, Brother Alex, of Black Lives Matter, they are witches, Listen, I have no sympathy for the left. I am a contract killer for the Lord Jesus Christ. My responsibility is to cut the head off of not just Antifa, that is the military arm of Black Lives Matter, but Black Lives Matter is the propaganda arm of Antifa. So you have three witches who created this terrorist organization uh, in 2013 following the death of Trayvon Martin, Alicia Garza. 
She is a member of Omega Phi Beta. Uh, Patrice Colors, she is a member also of Omega Phi Beta. And Opa Tometi, she's of Nigerian descent. She is a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha, mm. which means they're all a part, Brother Alex, of the black skulls and bones. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, 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 get the tarp! <laughs> Uh, oh my goodness so they're they're putting spells on everybody you gotta explain well, they're working through the biggest where well, they're working through the biggest spell caster is the media exactly. or the medium which what, what do you call witches and no offense to witches out well, there but, but, but what are witches called it's, mediums it's important people understand this because when we and we haven't gone off the rails all of a sudden like oh well this is it it's witchcraft that's the problem no 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 it it is truly a form of modern witchcraft. It truly is. Yeah, especially when you fat in nocebo effect and you keep saying, you know, this negative stuff and then it presents itself. Not as soon as they start talking about black cop shooting black, cop shooting black people, more cops shoot black people. How does that work? Well. Like on demand. It's like it's I mean, like on demand. Well, now. Coming, coming from an advertising perspective, that's actually how it works. If you show something over and over again, it's going to have an influence depending on how you show it, what music you show it with, how your cuts are made, how your shots are positioned. It's I I have manipulated people's thinking in a in a in a not necessarily derogatory way, but have created illusions, illusions, magic, illusions, right. witchcraft, spells on television that. Uh, <laughs> There's okay. If anyone wants, this is a very. I've been doing this for maybe fifteen years. There's a, you can find it on. I'm going to put it in the show notes. It's called the Zen TV experiment. Have you ever heard of this, Mo? No, I haven't. But I'm going to look it up as soon as we all. We okay. Go. The Zen TV experiment. Uh, it goes back to I think this one December. Well, this is 2009, and I don't know if this is even the first time it was. It just and you and you should just do something. You can do it with the television or uh, or with your laptop. But it just gives you a couple of simple things to do. I'll show you. Uh, for instance, watch TV for 10 minutes and count the technical events. Technical events are... Uh, we've all seen TV cameras in banks and jewelry stores. A stationary video camera simply recording what's in front of it will call pure TV. Anything other than that is a technical event. A camera zoom, technical event. Someone's profile talking, suddenly you switch to another person responding, technical event. A car's driving down the road, you hear music playing, technical event. Count the number of times there's a cut, zoom, superposition, voiceover, appearance of words on the screen, fade in, fade out. All of those are technical events. They're magical. They are illusions. Call it that. Call it sorcery. So much of what we're seeing, particularly now with uh, handheld cameras, direct, uh, you know, the, the the way the media uses that that type of video sources, you know, narratives are set on eight seconds of uh, a video shot from a window. This is all technical and broadcast sorcery. And one final point I'd like to make is even the release of information, like you said, it starts with the eight second. Yeah. And then it bleeds out the you know the full video and then another angle of the video and then another angle and then the context of the video those kind of things. So yeah, it's definitely and and these women work arm in arm with their sisters in the media. 
Yes. Oprah, Gail, et cetera, fill in the blanks. And they create a narrative. And you saw it in full play with Kobe Bryant. Yep. You saw what they did to him in his death. Mm-hmm. Kobe didn't do nothing to nobody. I mean, and when he died, I mean, but look, look what they did. Yeah, and and, and we got to take this. We got to take him down. And they took and they <laughs> took take him down. And they took Snoop Dogg down a notch too, didn't they? Exactly. Wow. Okay. Oh, and by the way, some sorcery and witchcraft I also believe is real. So not just technical events on television. I think you can probably conjure up bad energy wherever it's coming from and that right. is i mean I, I don't dispute that as well i mean i'm just saying that if, for the people that that's a, a, a reach for them just the controlling your mind control brainwashing don't take my word for it take uh burrell's word for it right tom burrell yep he's he's a he's a master wizard he is he's a grand wizard to coin a phrase grand wizard <laughs> at what he does mo thank you so much this is it's so enjoyable uh, to do these shows and because uh, it's re- it enriches me as a human. Uh, it, uh, every show to me is like I get to catch up with my with my buddy. Uh, I like that so much, and I know it comes across on the show. And I know so many people uh, get so much value. And of course, you know our pitch. If you got any value from it, just translate that into numbers. Add a note. Let us know how you feel, how it affected you. Try and keep it within you know the realm of broadcast length, because after all, we are creating technical sorcery here for you um and uh and counter sorcery counter sorcery that's right (laughs) it's white magic oh what did i say oh my god see how you get trapped in that kind of stuff uh mofax.com support us directly at mofundme.com our donation page m-o-e-f-u-n-d-m-e.com and mo thank you again i can't wait uh, for the next episode and as i always say Pay attention to everything and the truth will reveal itself. The banana clip theory. The banana I can't theory. believe I took it this far, this far, this time. The banana clip theory. I told theory. myself I should be smart, be smart and not lie. The banana clip theory. The banana Told me power was the only thing that we could lose. So don't be afraid to let the shower on them. If they ever run up at my door, it came with a red dot for a short shot and a silencer on the low. I had to stop, pause, and think about it while it gave me its resume. Told me no better way to protect myself in this world we live in. Cause they killing up women and children. The only way you survive in your mind is to stay strapped. So you act out. They'll call you soft if you back out. So you roll your window down and you black out. The next day they'll be back round. The banana clip theory.